first and foremost, don't buy Chocondro. This is From the Ground Up, the story of me starting my reptile business. When I talk to people, or like, I think I talked to someone about doing the show and the rundown of stuff, but it was really someone else. And I'm coming in here thing. completely blind. There this you is, go. That's perfect. This is very high tech for me. I'm used to doing the radio show with my headphones on and my pajamas on in my kitchen. There you, you know? go. Here we have to like at least have shirts on. Pants are optional because it's from the belly button up. But other than that, you do whatever you want. But all right. From the ground up 40 with Bill Stiegel of Phoenix Reptiles and GTP Keeper Radio. Bill, give us a little rundown of your business and what you do. Hey, well, thanks uh, for so much for having me on. It, uh, it feels a little bit funny being on this end of it. I've been the guest on other shows before, but most of the time I'm the one um, asking the questions. And uh, when you get a real talker on your show, as you know, that makes your job as the host pretty easy. Absolutely. <laughs> and we really look for um, big talkers when we have uh, guests on. But so thanks so much for, for having me on. I've been looking forward to this. You guys have had some some great people on that uh, I know in, in our neck of the woods. You've had uh, Evan on and Mark uh, Hager. You've had, oh, I've seen Austin show. So um, a lot of good people and people that I'm friends with. So I'm glad I could finally make the trip over and do the show. It shows how good our community is here, like in Dallas. So we have, we've had all those people come in here and just do the show when you know all those people live within 30 minutes yeah i think texas is making a push for being really a very very strong reptile state and uh i think that's cool yeah for sure so what was the start of your business um it's really funny i always enjoyed snakes you know and reptiles when i was a kid um but my parents would never let me have any snakes you know they were one of those parents like hell no, you're not going to bring that snake, you know, into, into our house. And, um, so I, throughout the years, I, I built up this enormous collection of rubber snakes because, you know, that's the only snake I could have in the house. And, uh, and then my brother, uh, went to town and decimated those snakes by biting their heads off. And so I just, so I was in a really bad spot, really wow, bad you're place. Rushing over that. Yeah. Well, it, it's a very long, long story, and it's very traumatic. So I try, I try not to dwell on it too much. But so when your parents don't let you have any snakes when you're a kid, then when you get grown up and you want a snake, you don't just get one snake. You know, you right. just go crazy. It's like tattoos. <laughs> I went tattoo crazy. Yeah. Um, so my son wanted to get one when he was like, seven or eight years old and so we got a ball python and then from there it just exploded that was about almost 20 years ago now and wow so it was something that we did together for a long time we started uh just getting a small collection together and then of course we wanted to, to breed snakes and and then i shortly after getting into ball pythons i got into carpet pythons and um he eventually kind of left me to it as he 
got older and is went through puberty he decided girls were a lot cooler than snakes in like high school that's when i i dropped off of snakes and stuff you like did. that and then after you get out of high school and maybe college then you kind of get back into the old stuff you may have been used to yep and he may end up doing that but um right now I'm pretty much on my own yeah and we turned it into i guess a business uh maybe eight or nine years ago and that was just um, because I was producing stuff and selling it. And so uh, we started Phoenix Reptiles. A, lo a lot of people ask me why Phoenix Reptiles. It's not after the city of Phoenix. <laughs> um, do you know why? Uh, any guess why it would be Phoenix? Because you rate some birds. You rise out of the ashes yes. like a phoenix. Yeah, the oh, the mythical the mythical uh, bird phoenix. And um, I named it Phoenix reptiles because my father's business was phoenix enterprise and he passed away shortly after we started the business and so we took his name phoenix and just added reptiles to it very nice so uh yeah i get a lot not a lot but probably once a month i'll get uh some kind of contact from somebody in arizona wanting to come by <laughs> pick up a snake i said yeah yeah you're welcome to come by you better leave a little early because i'm in because i'm in texas <laughs> Um, so that's uh, how Phoenix uh, Reptiles came about. And I'm like most everybody else you've had on here. I'm a pretty small mom and pop uh, kind of shop. I, I occasionally vend shows, but it's uh, pretty in infrequent. Uh, I'll vend the uh, Arlington NARBC maybe once every couple of years. Mm -hmm. And and that's just if I have the animals uh, to do it. And uh not ball pythons like so when i have carpet pythons and green tree pythons available then so you're not you're not just adding to the thousands they, of ball pythons that are already there they don't need me there Joe. <laughs> they do not need me at the narbc yeah sometimes i'm like what what are what's different between this guy and then like how are these people differentiating differentiating themselves in between everyone and they, I would say 90% of the vendors up there don't. They're, right. you know, they're just ball pythons. I love ball pythons. I mean, I they're they were my gateway reptile. I still love them today. I think genetic wise, um, you can do more with those than any other, you know, reptile on the planet at least for me. So I love them, but I'm not going to bring up in that uh, environment and sell with it's just not 200 other vendors. So. Uh, but I am, I will take this opportunity to plug, I am going to vend the Lone Star Show in Arlington in December because I will uh, have carpet python babies and green tree python you know babies. So I think it's the 12th, maybe December 12th, 13th, something like that. And are you now, I mean, are you breeding as far as your breeding schedule goes, as far as your carpets go? I know your green tree just, your eggs just hatched, so obviously that's out of season that was a crazy um that was just kind of a crazy green tree thing to do um because I, I bred her in the in the winter and in the fall like all of my other animals right. i do a little bit of cool down some temperature cycling and she just locked up and locked up and locked up i stopped recording after 30 locks and finally the male got kind of got disinterested so i said well she's just not gonna go and about the time i'd given up on her she went off food which was very unusual for her, but a male had not been in with her for two months. Wow. So she, then she goes off food and she ovulates. And at that point she did everything perfect 
textbook wise, like a green tree is supposed to do, which never happens. They're never textbook. So would that be she retained sperm for all that? I guess. I don't really know. I guess. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty long. Well, I've heard of like ball pythons having clutches from the year before. I mean, you get a clutch and then it's. And and I've had that happen. I've had, yeah, I had a female that I was going to rest, a ball python, so I didn't breed her at all. And sure enough, the following um, summer she laid. There you go. I had part, though. I had that happen in a female ball python. So it's when the female pretty much duplicates her own genes and makes makes her her own babies. That's so... Virgin Mary? Virgin Mary. Virgin Mary. There you go. But, I mean, it just shows you. I guess ball pythons want to multiply no matter what you do. Bizarre. I'll take take it. Yeah, right? That's so weird. But they don't know, like, what causes that or it's just random in ball pythons? Um, It's not ball pythons. It happens all throughout the animal kingdom. I don't know... I wouldn't be able to speak on that, really. I would just I sound have, stupid. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't have... That would have been a question for the geneticist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, even that, you know, that's just getting into biology. And I don't know, man. I try not to talk about things I don't know about on here. <laughs> so you just had that, those eggs hatch. And talk a little bit about the parents and the lineage there. Yeah, that was a, a really cool... Um, that, that was my fourth clutch of um, green trees to produce. I've produced one clutch every year for the last four years, and that so far has been the coolest. It was a, a Cyclops locality type, um, and I, I'd only had her for about a year and a half, and she's a beautiful blue, non-hormonal. I mean, she's just blue, which is pretty unusual um, out there in non-blue line genetically produced chondros. So... She's a beautiful blue, and then I um, bred her with a, a male that a guy named Jason Stevens from Colorado, he and, a, and another guy from Colorado named Ryan Burke produced a clutch um, several years ago, and uh, that's a, it's called a gems animal for, uh, for Jason Stevens. And is that is that blue line as well? You know, it's not really considered blue line um, because... The parents, one of the parents was blue. It was a blue Arfac, kind of like my blue Cyclops girl. Um, and the other uh, male that bred her was also blue, but it's not a documented genetic blue line. Um, so I don't really consider him or the clutch that I produced technically blue line animals. But <laughs> I'll tell you this if they all turn out, if they all ended up blue, like her mother, then I would say, I would say, well, maybe it's Does a new that blue line. Ever happen in the chondro world, though? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. But even though, let's say half of them turned out that looked like her, you know, I I would consider then saying, well, something's going on, you know, that it it would deserve to be bred back, probably sibling to sibling, um, or sibling to to mother, and then just kind of see what you get out of that. The the chondro genetics are they're they're wacky they're they don't follow the mendelian genetics that a lot of the stuff that we work with does so um in a nutshell chondro genetics is if you want blue if you want blue animals pair two blue parents together or pair parents that have blue and then keep all the babies because you never know who's going to turn blue and who's going to be just green there's some hints but you for the most part yeah there's some clues to look for um in red babies if you want them to turn either melanistic or blue Right. So as far as you hatched out the sickness from that female, correct? The sickness was from a different female. Oh, okay. She was from a different uh, locality female. She was from a Wamina. 
a uh, totally green snake. Um, but the sire to that was a melanistic designer animal um, named Jaeger. But he was slightly melanistic. He, he had just some black here and there. Beautiful animal, black here and there. And they produced a big clutch. I ended up with 20 red babies and three yellows. Ooh. And um, I ended up establishing the three yellows did great. And I think of the 20 reds, maybe 13 or 14 made, made it. And he, the sickness is the only one that turned out like him. He's, he's probably 80 or 85% black. And then the rest, uh, some blue and green. And, and are, are you keeping track of the animals as they go on being, hey, like I know who got this. It, that one's not, turning green or not not purposefully but i have kept up i would say with probably of the ones that i let go i only kept two i kept the sickness and i kept one other sibling and she's looks like the father and looks like all the other clutch mates she's a beautiful green with a little bit of melanism um but i've kept track with i'd say 80 percent of the animals i released and they all look you know, green. they look awesome. <laughs> they look awesome, but they don't look like the sickness. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's nice to have a green, all green tree pythons look great. Yeah, absolutely. But, so are you looking when you picked out the sickness, say the darkest red animal? I mean, you're definitely not messing with the yellows. That's what it seems to be like. You're only keeping back reds. Right. But how do you pick out of that? Um, the sickness was remarkably different from the day that he came out. He was a, a darker color and very reduced pattern and so i knew right from the get-go that he was gonna stay and i'd say out of that clutch there were probably five or six others that i was hopeful you know that i thought i would keep um, but he was remarkably different it's unusual to the the clutch um that i just had i brought over one of the little babies and uh, i've got 18 red babies and they all look remarkably similar but I saw some that were like a dark wine, like almost blackish dark. red. That one's also, yeah, that one's very dark. So there's definitely, it seems they, like some variation. There's some there variation, still. but not as dramatic as the sickness clutch. So you don't, if you were to guess, which is a bad thing to just guess, but. It's fun to guess. Is anything, <laughs> who's special, who's not? Is anyone special? Are they all going to be green? Are they all going to be blue? What do you think? I think there's a good chance that. Uh, some of them or a lot of them are going to be blue just based on the way the mother looks the way the grandmother looks the fact that all 18 were red no yellow babies in there at all um, I think there's a good chance that some a lot are going to have a lot of blue in them other than that who knows yeah so do you think the sickness will ever be remade I'm hoping. I, I tried last year. I repeated that pairing, okay. and they locked, but the female just didn't go. Um, but I'm going to repeat them again here. That's the one thing. If, even if you get down that clutch, it's hard to repeat. In green trees, it's hard to breed them more so than other animals where you know that the animal is going to go every year. So, yeah. I mean, that really puts a lot more time into you straightening out your genetics or what you have. It's it's a lot, I, I guess, uh, harder is the word or it's not the word but it's just patience though a lot more patience like i rested that big girl she had a huge clutch you know she had 23 eggs and so i rested her an entire year the sickness is three now so i rested her a year thinking she'd be good to go the following year which was last year and she was but she just didn't 
you know she just wasn't ready yet so, so this year so we'll she's see. going to him isn't she oh yeah oh to the sickness yeah i don't think so i think i'm yeah. gonna put her back to the original male that produced the sickness because i've got other plans for the sickness <laughs> okay so you you're just i don't know if you want to say specifically but you're gonna outcross him to another melanistic animal or something like that i will either um breed him with another blue line female that's ready to go named lucky charms or if he doesn't want to go then i will wait until that cyclops blue cyclops is ready and i'll breed him with her okay is that just you don't you want to get something hopefully better than him not even just the same as him i mean you want to move the project further along is that the thinking or or just, just something different just see what happens yeah i, mean, <laughs> I feel like that's most of brain tree stuff is see I mean, what happens because you can only control it so much and then like you said it's wacky like you, you have to have like a very generalized plan like i wouldn't breed the sickness to a animal that was a yellow baby yeah i mean because the yellow neonates don't tend to turn out as adults to be high blue or high black so other than well just don't breed it with a with an animal that was a yellow neonate there's no, I don't think there's any right or wrong. Just so essentially, the yellow neonate, like those, that's kind of limebred out of these animals. As far as if they're getting all red, when naturally you have a variation of red and yellow. It it just depends on the project you're interested in. Like my friend Matt Morris down in Austin, he's a big yellow. He loves to breed animals. No, no, Mike. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I told you I'm used to the headphones and. Yeah. He's used to breeding. Uh, I mean, he he's very interested in high yellow adult animals. So he works mainly with yellow neonates. And yellow neonates can still have beautiful blue and black mm -hmm. in them, but they're not going to be all black or all blue. Right. You know, they're going to be, um, you know, they're just going to have that. They're going to have the yellow and they're going to have the blue and the black in with it. Okay. So it just depends on the project that you're looking to work and I mean, can red turn to yellow or is that there's yeah. really there are really no animals that are high yellow. Red neonates can turn yellow. Yes. To answer your question. Mm. Um, but I think most of the stuff that's done to produce high yellow animals comes from yellow neonates. OK. And are all kofiows, are those all yellow? I've been like really into the canary phase yeah. kofiows and stuff like that. I, yeah, I, I don't want to say with 100% certainty that they're all yellow as babies, but I think so. Because it's kind of like, you know, the Australian green shoes. I know those are always all yellow. There's never been a red baby, even in captivity. You right. Know, they produce them, they're all yellow. Right, and that's like the Aru, the Aru locality type. They're all yellow. Which is just green and white, correct? Usually there's no other variation of color there. They'll, they'll have some blues in there too, some blue undertones, mm -hmm. but primarily green and white. Evan wants to know what's up on ICAST 2. ICAST 2, ICAST um, stands for the um, International Collective Arboreal Symposium. And that was first um, an event that started, I think it was five or six years ago up in Maryland. And that's where I met my co-host uh, of GTP Keeper Radio, Buddy Buscemi. He and two other guys put that event on five or six years ago and it was just basically was the most badass arboreal uh conference it was 
a show. It was a conference. We had speakers and dedications. It lasted for a weekend. And most importantly, a party after everyone else. The whole thing was a party. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it was incredible. Um, But Evan is asking about that because one of the original Buddy Buscemi is talking about doing it again. And so if I had to guess, probably within the next year, we'll have ICAST 2. Do you think you're going to maybe roam around or is it staying in Maryland? It'll stay in Maryland. Okay. Yeah, because um, Maryland really is, in from the United States, the hot, kind of the hotbed for uh, green green trees. Really? Yeah. The, some of the, uh, you know, green trees are produced all over the United States, and hopefully Texas will overtake them one day. But right now, uh, Maryland is, is the hotbed of green trees. It seems like, because there's not many guys going that in-depth on green trees like say you are or buddy Bashemi is so it seems like all the area around you guys have a good community of green tree keepers so it's like i don't know many green tree when i was in new york i don't know anyone okay and then here there's like six guys within <laughs> a stone's throw of yeah know, my place so yeah it's i mean like i said i'm i'm hoping that texas and north texas you know we really grow it and it turns into kind of a hotbed i tell people all the time especially my east coast friends because you know what a disadvantage we are down here weather wise you know because it's so it's hard to cycle your animals when it's 80 degrees in february right. um so i use that as a great excuse like when i'm not real productive <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, productive, I mean, just getting a clutch a year. A clutch a year to me is plenty (laughs) productive, yeah. As far as feeding babies, is it a real pain or how long does that usually take? Well, my first clutch, um, which was five years ago, I was super nervous. It was in a roux to a roux locality type. And I had like a small clutch, maybe seven or eight babies. The eggs were big, the babies were big, and like every single one of them ate just like right off the bat and i was like this is easy man this, this shit is easy what are, you know what are these guys talking about i'm I a, I'm a carpet breeder man eat it all and i swear the next clutch that i had the following year was a sickness clutch and i had 23 babies and in the first feeding feeding trials i got three to eat that was spending that was spending four hours Oh my with the 23 i got i got three to eat and it was just completely just a beat down brutal after that i ended up actually farming out six or eight animals sent them to maryland to buddy because he you know he decided to take pity on me and help me out and this i think i was talking to either mark or uh or evan about this i put these babies in you know they hadn't eaten in two months they were starving i put him in a box sent him up to maryland buddy took him out and of i think i sent him six babies five of them ate immediately coming out of the box and the other one ate the next day <laughs> i mean sometimes it's like maybe even different temps or you know especially with colubrids i know which is different obviously than green trees but you put them into brumation for like a week like 55 degrees or something for a week take them out and then they eat so maybe there, just different changes. I, I think there has some. There's something about moving them, transporting them. They either it kicks in that they better do. You know, they better eat now. They're in a new environment. I don't know what it is. I 
you know, I told Buddy at the time because I'd only ever had one clutch before. I said, "Oh man, you're you're all you know, you're the master, okay, feeding <laughs> baby green trees." And he goes, "Bill, all I did was the exact same thing you did. I just <laughs> stuck it up in front of them, and they were just they just powered it down." Um, so anyway, it took me a long time to get that clutch established. And what are the certain steps that you're taking to try to get them established? Well, you know, in nature, these babies, they don't want to eat rodents. I mean, they, they, they come out of the egg and they want to eat, um, geckos as their Mm -hmm. primary food source as babies. And then they eventually after one to two years, they transition and they start eating, um, rodents. Um, and we can get into this a little bit later. Uh, the reason, one of the reasons you want to try to avoid, especially if it's your first green tree, buying them at a show is because they're usually, uh, imports or, um, or, um, farm bred babies. Yeah. And a lot of those are established on geckos because it's a lot easier to get them to eat a gecko than it is to eat a Dale mouse pink. Established on Indonesian geckos, which <laughs> right. has a whole host of another, another issues and yeah. problems. Um, but so anyway, my my first the first thing I try to do is to get them to eat a mouse pink. It's a day old mouse pink, and um, if they won't eat that, then I'll scent it. And I found the thing that they like the most is chick down. Really? Mm-hmm. So, so you don't like? I mean, we have Mediterranean geckos here and stuff. You don't catch a gecko and scent it, or it, it would be a last scenario. Last and and I know that they would eat the geckos here. The problem with geckos, even the geckos here and the geckos in Indonesia, is they carry parasites. Right. Um, and you just don't want your animals established uh, and have parasites. Right. Um, they live with parasites in the wild. The great, you know, they live in the wild. Um, but if you ever see a wild chondro, they look terrible. They look like show chondros. They look like the sh- <laughs> chondros you get at, <laughs> at a local reptile show. Yeah, they're emaciated and dehydrated, dehydrated <laughs> and they're just parasitic ridden. But that works for them in the wild. It does not work for them in captivity. Did you hear the Justin Julander on NPR? He said that. Um, I think it's some type of lizard or frog that they eat in the wild. That specific parasite doesn't actually affect them, but that's how they get under the skin, those bumps. Yeah, yeah. It's not actually like parasitic. The The parasite actually dies under the skin there. Right. It's pretty and, interesting. And those aren't the parasites we're worried about. Right. I mean, those are the parasites we're worried about live in the gut and mm-hmm. um, can cause in captivity, cause stuff like prolapse and and diarrhea and and the worst thing it do is it can spread to your other animals your other if, if you have captive bred uh, chondros so right. um and all these babies they need to be teased fed um you know it's amazing how aggressive you have to be with a lot of them to get them that very very surprised when i got mine yeah because ben was like you know you just gotta whack it across the head with the pinky or the tail you know whatever and I'm like, if I did that to a ball python, it wouldn't eat for a week. Right. would be like, fuck this. You know, this is hitting me in the head. I know. Totally stress them out. Yeah. This, yeah. Um, I, I have a young guy that works with me um, named Brian Phillips. And uh, he was wanting to learn, um, you know, obviously you want to learn how to, he's got some chondros. You want to learn how to establish them. And he just could not believe how rough <laughs> I was being with him to get that that it's really just an anger, you know, response. I mean, you're getting just kind of a defensive response and it turns a- into a feeding. Absolutely. It, uh, that's exactly what happens. And they will, 
uh, you know, they, they'll just go after it hard if, if you get them riled up, mm-hmm. hopefully. The other yeah. thing they'll do is they'll they'll run. And when you have a runner, one that just tries to get away, it's not a real good indicator that it's going to be much fun establishing those. Okay. So, um, luckily, this clutch that I had recently – no runners it was it couldn't have been better uh, you know at 18 babies all 18 eight on the first feeding attempt which is very very unusual and you think that has to do maybe with lineage of having multiple generations of captive bred or i, I think that helps but the mother to this clutch was a locality lo- yeah import. locality probably imported locality she i don't know much about her other than she was imported as a red baby so she could have been wild caught she could have been farm bred yeah, she was captive born bred right there. Of course. <laughs> right, they of course. <laughs> of course yeah, they duh. did. <laughs> That's what they said. So as far as when you're looking to get an animal, I mean a lot of people obviously say, Why should I get an animal for you? It's like a eight hundred bucks when I could get this animal for two fifty at yeah, at the show. Yeah. The show. Yeah, I, from, I didn't want to name from, a name, so I was trying to see what I was gonna say. It's um, you know, that's a great question and when buddy and i decided to do our show our main focus was we wanted to uh, dispel two myths one that green tree pythons were impossible to keep or an advanced level animal to keep and two that they were all extremely nasty and Mm -hmm. defensive aggressive couldn't be handled so those are two myths that we wanted that aren't true and that we wanted to dispel the problem is, is when you buy an imported animal from a reptile show that's been brought over here in a Coke bottle from Indonesia, it's going to be very difficult to take care of yeah. and it's going to be very defensive. So most people that buy, that get those, especially as their first chondro, don't have good success with them. They end up um, either being very defensive or they die or they're very defensive and then they die. Well, everyone wants to hold their biak every day when they get it from a reptile show. So, you know, I, I mean, and some, you know, some people, they'll just say, well, these green trees, they're, they're display animals. They're not, you know, to be held. And I tell people 90% of animals that are bred in captivity can be held. Mm-hmm. Um, if you get an imported animal, that's, you know, it's a lot less likely, especially if it's a biak locality type. Because BX, even the captive bred BX, they are more likely to be defensive or they just don't want to be messed with. Yeah. Um, but all the other stuff, especially if it's born in captivity, as long as you're not trying to hold them at night, they can be held mm-hmm. and they're, they're as docile as any species that I keep. But I think, especially with the BIOC, I mean, that's the one that you see imported constantly. So is that taking away from you know people don't really want to work with them captively because there's not as much of a market because you can get them so readily for you know 200 bucks 250 from certain people yeah absolutely they're i don't know the reason why they're so readily available i guess it you know i don't know why the island of of biak is able to produce pump out so many babies but they are and those are the ones that like you said if you see a if you see a a green tree at a show it is 90 percent going to be a biak um and it's 100 percent going to be imported imported. (laughs) yeah and so those animals you're going to have trouble with um unless you're just very you know an an experienced keeper they're all going to have parasite loads they all need to be taken to the vet and get be treated 
and uh, they have going to gone through a lot of stress getting here. So, you know, you said you mentioned they are they're about two hundred and fifty bucks, three hundred bucks. Um, the difference in you know, you can get a captive bred animal like the one that you got. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what you paid for it, but anyway, not a lot. Very cheap for a captive born animal, to be honest. Yeah, you, or a captive born and bred animal. You got them, you know, locally, and I tell people five hundred dollars is what they have to, you know, look to spend. You may be able to, you know, get a deal and get one for four hundred, but anywhere that five six hundred dollar range, you can get uh, a yellow captive born and bred animal. And just as important as the animal is the support you get with it because right. one of the big things that the condor community is is that we feels very important is that custom is that support you know to to help somebody that has a new a new animal and you're not going to get that from a show pickup yeah i mean that goes for any animal that we're keeping as far as any of the reptiles i mean that's what i always say even if you're going people always ask hey is this a good guy is this a good guy well i say generally everyone's pretty decent but the bigger they get the less time they're gonna have for you as far as you know i mean even i know some guys who are very specialized in stuff you know guys who are pretty big but only in the corn snake world or something that will take all the time out of their day to help you out so it just really goes as far as like um especially i guess with green trees i mean it seems like there's two ways to kill your animal which seems to be like too much heat obviously and rapid feeding as far as the prolapsing and stuff goes um what do you consider like what would be your baseline onto keeping your chondro to avoid you know things like that well you hit i think two of the most important things um, to have success in keeping a chondro first and foremost don't buy show chondro if I haven't said that before <laughs> in the interview, I want to say... And, and I know that some people don't agree with that. But didn't you just say you're going to be vending at Lone Star? <laughs> don't buy my animals either. <laughs> so, buy a show condos from you, Well, That's a good I, salesman. Buy from me, not anyone else. <laughs> I would say the chance that your audience is going to be at the Lone Star show buying animals from me is pretty low. Um... But I would say that you can, if you do your research and you look, you can find breeders that work with chondros and that have produced the animals. And that's really the only way you're going to know if it's captive bred. You have to ask questions. You have to do a little research. Uh, You have to, you know, do you have pictures of the parents? Do you have pictures of the copulation? Do you have pictures of the mother on eggs? Anybody that knows anything about breeding green tree pythons will have pictures of all of that stuff. And if... If people don't have pictures of the population, you guys are attentive <laughs> to detail yeah. for sure. Tintin. Oh yeah. I can't imagine. The snobbiest of the snobs. <laughs> hey. So how do you go about like qualifying your buyer as far as, you know, if people come up to you at a show, they have zero idea what it is. It's just nice looking. It's a little expensive for them, but you know, how do you say like, oh, I'm gonna educate this person and you know, that, that's that's a great question. This is one area where actually um, Buddy Bashemi and I differ a little bit. He is of the strong belief, and I am with him on most scenarios that buying a chondro should not be an impulse buy. Mm-hmm. Like if you go to a reptile show and you see a really cool-looking ball python, well, you can get your 10-gallon tank, you can get your heat pad, get the animal. And then call me when it doesn't eat in November Right. six months. <laughs> right, and if it doesn't eat, it's it, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah. yeah. 
the green trees, um, you know, traditionally are not that you, you really do need to do some research, not that they're hard to take care of. There's just a few little, little things that needs to be done differently. And, um, you know, you mentioned a couple of really the most important ones are people tend to keep it too hot. They want to keep it like they keep their ball Python 95 degree hot spot and either ambient or 80 degree, you know, ambient temps. And that's just too hot for, for a green tree. Mm-hmm. They, you know, I keep mine, um, ambient 77, 78 degrees, a uh, hot spot of 83, 84 degrees. And that hot spot goes off at night. So they just, really? yeah, they just get the ambient, you know, 78 degrees at night. So that's, that's a big difference for how a lot of people keep their other reptiles. Right. Um, and then the feeding is the other thing. They just, they're arboreal. They're, they're meant to be kept lean and thin. And if you saw them out in the wild, you'd really know why they, they're just, they're really small animals and thin. And so, um, those are the, those are the three things, you know, that are going to really keep you out of trouble. Uh, you know, buying a captive bred animal, don't feed it too much and don't get it too hot mm-hmm. the everybody thinks about green trees is oh they've got to have a, a specific humidity what's the humidity level should i keep it at 80 percent or 60 percent and and i tell people i don't even measure humidity it's not that important mm-hmm. um in keeping a green tree what is important is hydration and there's a difference between um getting your your green tree to drink and then just but instead of just missing the cage four times a day so i mean fresh fresh water as far as that's what i've found or what i've asked from people and what i got back as far as so what i do is i change my green trees water like every three to four days i'm probably being a little over the top about it but i also don't i don't like misting my animal right on it because from when i see like when you get out of the shower you're a little cold you know like it may be at the normal room temperature but yeah. you feel colder so it must drop your core temperature down so i'm thinking that's maybe what it does in my animal absolutely so maybe i'm just being crazy but no i, I stay away from missing you know you said changing water every three or four days and that's exactly what i do and you know i probably heard that from you by the way (laughs) (laughs) maybe or i heard it from you i'm not sure no no definitely not um but i definitely change the water more like my ball pythons they can willow in that shitty water for a week if they take a dump in it there's it's just they're they're married to it till saturday you know (laughs) but the uh, the green trees they get fresh water every three to four days if they take a dump in their cage then their cage gets cleaned that day or the next day. I don't wait until the weekend and they get fresh water that day too. So mm-hmm. I, I do think a fresh water source is, it's by far the most important thing um, in keeping your chondro hydrated, which is super important for good sheds and preventing um, prolapse. So, um, you know, you've mentioned something about misting and 10 years ago or 20 years ago, that was the big thing you know, to keep chondros misted. And, and even the, the great keepers, the, the guys that established chondros in this country in the 70s, um, Trooper Walsh and, uh, you know, even uh, Rico Walder, they misted their animals a lot. And it was right. probably because they couldn't get them to drink from water bowls and they would have to lick their coils to get that hydration do you feel like there's a difference as far as i know you keep those 3d printed water bowl holders on the purse 
Do you think that may have been the disconnect as far as they're keeping their water bowl on the ground and your snake is up in the perch and they're not necessarily coming down to drink? I don't know if that's like the game changer. I think it helps to have that um, water dish elevated. But certainly, um, if you put a bowl down on the ground, most condors, if it's fresh water, they'll find it, they'll go down and they'll drink it. Okay. But I, I like the just anything that can give me any kind of advantage on hydration. And so those perch holders are pretty neat because um, they do. They sit right just inches from where the chondro is. And if, if, if it wants to be lazy and it doesn't want to go down the bottom of the cage, it can just reach over and, and drink just a few inches from it. Right. So I mean, we're keeping these in bins. So, I mean, the least you can do is bring the water right to its <laughs> freaking mouth. Absolutely. <laughs> Baby them in, in all form fashion. Right. So as far as, um, oh, I had a question and I totally forgot about it, but. Well, we wanted it. I mean, we wanted to talk about hydration too, because those yeah. two things are real. They're oh, linked. I just remembered it. Okay, go. <laughs> All right. So Daniel Natouche did a lot of research on green trees in the wild as far as what they eat. And in captivity, what we always try to do is smaller side of meals, not too big of meals. He brought up the fact that they were eating very large meals in the wild why can't they digest small why can't they digest large meals in captivity but they can digest large meals seemingly in the wild what do you think what do you think i think they can digest large meals um in the wild i mean in captivity um you don't really know what's happening in the wild i mean you can say yeah they're they're ingesting or eating large prey items but what happens, you know, to that animal afterwards? You yeah, know, does it? No, does it prolapse? You know, does does it prolapse a they week later? It, does it die? You know? it. Yeah, you, you <laughs> just you know, you, you don't really know. Um, but I think it's been pretty well established for a long time that uh, in captivity, the best thing to do is feed them smaller meals. There's a big debate about. You know, do you feed them rats versus mice? Mm-hmm. And it's gone kind of back and forth. But I think the current thinking now is mice uh, are better for them. And if, if, if they're the way to go. And if you have a big chondro, um, feed it two mice as opposed okay. to feeding a it different a, size, feeding it a rat. Right. Um, so that's I've experimented a little bit of both, um, but I they're all eating mice now. And if I've got a big female that I'm trying to put some size on, I'll Just give her give two or three extra. mice. Yeah. Right. So there just seems to be less uh, incidence of prolapse, and they don't really know exactly why that is. It could be the texture of the different texture of the fur, okay. mice versus rat. Could be uh, different fat contents. Uh, don't. But we're all guessing. Right pretty now. pretty much just... pretty much guessing <laughs> why there tends to be more prolapses with uh, constant feeding of rats. What do so, you think it would take? for there to be more done about snake, I don't want to say genetics, because it's a, a, yeah, research. Like what, what will it take for there to be more known about snakes and more done researching them? You know, it, what it comes down to is it's always about the money, you know, right? I mean, there's people have got to be able to, you know, make money to fund research projects. So, you know, when you're talking about what's the best way to take care of chondros in captivity or any other species you know you have to do these very large studies involve a bunch of animals and you know i think by and far we found good ways to to uh, safely and you know keep these animals in captivity because the they do well they really do 
I think for us, it's just the trial and error of it as far as we've gotten so much further than, you know, them back in the day as far as your Trooper Walsh and your Barkers and all them trying to just figure out all the different ways to incubate the eggs and what to do. So we've come a far way. So I think the research is us actually doing the groundwork because quite frankly, all that funding and everything is probably much better spent on cancer research or something more important than our snakes or you know herpetologists i know have a hard time getting grants for Funding. stuff i'm sure yeah yeah and if you're gonna fund that kind of stuff let's fund stuff that keeps them um successfully in the wild you know, let's fund stuff. How the fuck do they get funding for reclassifying species every other day? <laughs> I don't know, but that's something they should not be funded for. <laughs> so many people were pissed off. We're just off. making up names for shit. So many people were pissed off when the chondros were moved into the Morelia um, genus out of the, the chondro python. For me, huh? The head shape makes sense. It's <laughs> well, a little Morelia like, right? Yeah, you can stretch <laughs> but it all you want. Them chondros for. They're, you still call Forever, them chondros. Yeah. I mean, is that something we're ever going to drop as far as the chondro thing I, goes? I or? hope not. Yeah. I mean, I think you guys are picky enough to, I guess, keep it alive. Yeah, we're big into history. Yeah. And one of the reasons is is because we really are very thankful to the people that you just mentioned that did so much of the groundwork, who spent decades of their life trying to figure these out where a guy like me can just you know do a little research and talk to a few people and can successfully breed them you know one year after two years after i start keeping them i mean right. and that's that's because of those people that sacrifice so much so that's why we're big into history yeah you know just i mean it goes from someone just trying to keep it alive to exactly and then breeding and then you know they're just establishing babies to, and yeah some people right. still like the I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, and there's other species that people are still just trying to keep alive. Yeah. You know, that their work hasn't been done. I mean, I don't know. It's hard because now you say, do I want to waste my time trying to establish a dragon rat snake? Or do I want to just keep something that I know I can breed and get a little return on when your rat snake from Indonesia is probably going to die within a year and you're going to have to get 10 of them and they're, most of them are going to die. I mean, you know, a lot of the guys that um, established the green trees, you know, Trooper Walsh worked for the zoo. I mean, you know, yeah. that was his job. You, I mean, you know, as far as taking care of animals. And so it's it's a little bit easier, I think, to do that when you're wasn't that. always on his dime? Is that what <laughs> Not always. I mean, he yeah. had, there were the zoo's animals and there were his animals. And I don't know how much they crossed over, um, you know. But he, and even most of the people that came up and learned so much about green trees, um, they had a kind of a, a place in, you know, to dedicate the time to do it. Whereas you and I have to go to our regular job you know during the day and then this is our hobby right um it was it was their work you know their life's work yeah i mean you have someone like rico he did didn't he work at an aquarium or something in the day and yeah then i mean he's really laid a lot of the groundwork probably after the generation after those guys correct yeah he was yeah he was probably i guess considered second generation chondro keeper and he and guys like greg maxwell um really just took what the original kind of green tree importers founders <laughs> and <laughs> you keep taking the microphone <laughs> well that's just really interesting because this is like 
a question that maybe only you would know as far as or someone deep into it why is there some greg maxwell hate around the conjure community um i think because just uh hard-headed people with differing opinions you know when you get people that um you know are, are really expert level um and they're just just hard-headedness and um i think a lot of people when he wrote his book um felt a little bit like he was taking credit for a lot of work that had been done by other people either before him or at the same time um, but i don't think that was necessarily true now i wasn't keeping condros when he wrote that book i'm you know rico's a second generation condro guy and i'm probably like fifth generation you know i've only been part of the community for really a short amount of time so i don't really know the ins and outs well i don't know if i want the mic to pick it up but i heard that rico used to call it the incomplete conjure <laughs> <laughs> yeah that it doesn't surprise me i and i wish i could tell you i wish i could go back far enough and tell you some great stories um but i just i'm too new that i can't which is crazy that to so many people you're not new but well, you're like established the in the Condra community. Definitely, right, definitely. I mean, multiple people have commented telling us, like, how did y'all get Bill? He's like, <laughs> he's so legit. <laughs> like, well. Well, 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 thanks. Um, I'm not that legit, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I'm not that legit. I'm just I'm just like you guys and, and everybody else. I mean, this is my hobby, and, you know, this is what I do to relax and unwind. And I just, green trees just happen to be the thing that, you know really has caught Call my attention you. yeah but i still like my other stuff too i like you know i mentioned i like my balls i like carpets some uh i can't wait i'm working with you rough like scales types of weird hybrid shit. <laughs> i do yeah the frank they, they call me the frankenstein because i do i like some weird hybrid some stuff i've got some borneo short okay, tails so, question, so i can ask my questions <laughs> um i don't know if he's still watching but mark uh on instagram said what's up bill ask him who his favorite texas chondro keeper <laughs> aka snob is my my favorite texas chondro keeper yeah that's mark of course oh no of course <laughs> of that's course i i know i know <laughs> of course when when evan when evan uh calls in then Evan's i'll say evan <laughs> um also so we talked y'all talked a little bit about like day jobs and this uh are you ever gonna make this your full-time job and not just your relax and unwind? Yeah, it, that's kind of in the works, but it's a little bit different for me because I'm kind of close to retirement age anyway. So I, I would never, it, it's gonna be something more to keep me busy than like mm -hmm. try to put food on the table. Um, I would never recommend that uh, to anybody that like has big responsibilities like a family and stuff like that because <laughs> it's uh it's kind of high risk high rewards i think there aren't right. a whole lot of people that make their living um doing what we all love to do is a, is a passion so but yeah i'm gonna be i'll be more involved here in in the future i'll just put it that way okay so what <laughs> hey, my question's not really that important yours is probably more important i'm just gonna ask how much your wife is involved in the whole your whole business stink all that stuff if you have brian it seems like she isn't is she 
Well, let's just say she's very supportive. (laughs) (laughs) Just Um, more in the mental than the physical? Yes, mostly the mental, but some in some parts of physical. I mean, if if she will come out there, she's changed water bowls. She's you know what she loves to do? She loves to pip eggs. She loves to pip baby eggs. Yeah. And we got into kind of a big fight um, with the last uh, green tree clutch because I wouldn't let her pip those. (laughs) She just pips the ball python eggs. Just because you didn't want to you didn't want to cut them or. No, I didn't want her to cut them. Or you (laughs) (laughs) love you, honey. Well, I was away and Melissa had to take care of a, a clutch that we had hatching. It was terrible. It was. Why? I was on the. Because I've never done. I this. needed to talk her I, down. What did? You, what do you want you to do? Did you want you well, to pip? They no. They hatched. Oh, well, they he hatched. Was gone. So they you had, had to, to set them up. I had to do everything, <laughs> and I've never. I don't. I've never done this before. Like I haven't even seen him do. Baby like snakes are very docile. So I don't know. What okay, was. you're lying. But okay, <laughs> um, they were nuts. And there was like twenty of them in one thing, and did like a pep talk to get her one by one to get twenty. Was it twenty? Because the first one I did bit me. Now, granted, it didn't. It wasn't like hurt, but it was just a whole psychological thing. Like fuck, the first one bit me. The night, you know. Let me tell you, you've gone, you've gone ten steps farther than my wife (laughs) would have gone. We have a six foot rule at my house. You know what the six foot rule is? The six foot rule is I can't bring a snake within six feet of her whoa unless she's had some wine and then it's different (laughs) (laughs) okay that's way different than our situation yeah now if if i need help in the room she's happy to fill water bowls i take the snake out i get it six feet away she's happy to pick up snake shit but (laughs) six feet (laughs) yeah i had to take out 20 babies put them in all their stuff containers do all their water bowls all their substrate like all that was me that's that's strong (laughs) i mean sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do right I mean, those babies were assholes. Like, what kind were they? That I've had. Corn snakes, baby corn. They were the biggest assholes I've ever hatched, which is Even great. When he got back, like how what, a week later, maybe still biting. Like four of them bit him. Wait. She was she was taking like an Instagram story of it, and I was picking them up, and they would bite me, and then I they'd hold on and put them into their tub while they're hanging <laughs> off my finger with their mouth. So yeah, they're pretty bad. Well, next time that happens. Mark and Evan live close enough. Evan, Evan was out, Evan of town. out of town. Oh. It was like, I, I even texted him because I was like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> like, I was like crying. Like, well, I can't do it. But Evan is out of town. You have enough people. You call me. You call Mark. We'll come over and help you with those baby corns. <laughs> Although I've never, I've never kept a corn snake. <laughs> you, I'm sure you'd be just fine. Never <laughs> <laughs> I'll touch him now, like hold him now. I've held many corn snakes, no problems, but those babies were another level. <laughs> yeah, babies are usually like that. But I mean, now we have a bigger phone book to pull from of people. To, I mean, people love messing with baby snakes anyway. Shoot I mean, as far as like, obviously that's the best part of everything we do. So there's babies. Yeah. So how how long after you establish those babies are you putting them up for sale, or how many meals do you feel comfortable with the green trees? Well, it depends on um, the experience level of the person that's getting it, whether they're local or if I have to ship it. I would say absolute minimum would be like ten meals. 
Um, that's a lot more than I thought you were going to really? say. Yeah, that's a lot. For a baby green tree? I do I do three to five with, with corns, but obviously that's a different I do three to I do three for ball pythons. Yeah, I've done that for balls too. Yeah, yeah but green trees, minimum 10. <laughs> if I've got to ship it and it's somebody that I don't really know well, you're looking at 15 or 20 meals. Um, they have to be to the point where I don't want them to have to tease feed the animal, really. Yeah. I want to be able to just... You know, as you know, they are voracious eaters as sub-adults and adults. I mean, you have to be careful because they'll hurt themselves or they'll hurt you. Yeah, ours have done both. <laughs> I mean, they, they are, they're like night and day um, when they're babies and when they're adults. But I don't want some. I don't want to send somebody an animal that has to be teased fed. I want them to have yeah. to maybe wake it up, wave it in front of their face, and then it eat. Mm-hmm. So that may take, that may be 10 meals, that may be 30 meals you know into the animal so are you a believer as far as if your snake doesn't eat then just let it be it's not meant to be in the gene pool or um no not necessarily but i think with baby particularly baby chondros it's it's a pretty bad sight if you can't get them to eat um you know using a bunch of little tricks right if you have to literally grab its head and you know force something down it then you know, you're really even with with a lot of experience, you're working uphill. Most of those animals mm-hmm. don't make it. So, because you know, you mentioned maybe like 20 hatch, you know, 13 were good to go, and then the rest died. So, yeah. like, what happened? They well, just kind of I, randomly dropped dead. Well, or? probably half of those are on me, and, <laughs> and half of those are on the baby. I mean, you remember that was that was my second clutch ever mm-hmm. getting established. The first clutch was small, and they were easy. So that was really my first, you know getting my feet wet establishing baby chondros so mm-hmm. probably at least half of those i think if i had them today i could have gotten but i mean it's going. not just you i hear that across the chondro community oh yeah there is no way you can avoid that you just you can watch as many videos as you want you can talk to all the advanced keepers you know and get all their little ticks you know um, tricks and tips but until you're there and you're yeah. doing it you just can't <laughs> it's something that you just have to do to learn mm-hmm. and so everybody's going to lose babies you're just going to lose less the more experience you get yeah i don't think people talk about that enough because people think you hatch out 10 babies and 10 survive like that's what she thought when we first hatched them out and then i'm like oh that baby died like what happened and then it's just babies die sometimes things yep. happen they not, have digestive issues that you don't so. notice yeah I thought they'd survive. You can't tell the inside from the outside, you know, stuff happens. And we have things with kinks in it. I sure. Mean, do you ever see kinks or anything in green trees? I haven't really seen them um, come out with kinks born like that. It does happen. Uh, they're so small and they're so fragile, you know, when, when they're born that it would be, if they had a kink, it'd be really hard to even see it, first of all. Mm-hmm. You can't pick it up and you can't let it run through your hands like you can so you, um, you other... I don't I don't touch these things until they're a year old. For anyone who's never seen one, like these things can pretty much fit on a quarter. Should these things are freaking tiny. Get it. Half Get the dollar. one I brought. Yeah, they're <laughs> um they're so small and they're so fragile. One of the you, um, Or you can take a perch out? Yeah, you okay. we can take one of the perches out. Yeah, just set it up, bring it over to me, and I'll take a perch out. It <laughs> seems almost unreasonable how small they are, you know, like 
it's kind of mind blowing when well, you that's, first see it. That's one of the you know things. The other husbandry thing, they're very easy to keep, but one of the things that you have to have are removable perches. Yeah. Um, because especially when they're babies, you can't just pry those things off the perch if you need to clean the cage. No. So instead of taking the animal off of the off of the perch, you just take. Yeah, I was gonna try it. You just take the perch out with the animal on it. Did you make this? Or did yeah. You want to put them in there for, or put them up there yeah, so they can yeah. see? Yeah, I made this. This is a... This is a Phoenix Reptiles Invention? Uh, I had some help. I, uh, several people contributed to this, but this is this whole setup you is... make it look big and <laughs> like that. You need like a size comparison. <laughs> Beer there compared you go. to a beer, it's very small. <laughs> Classic. So, so that thing's that thing's like six weeks old. So it's even it's had two meals. Of what? Uh, day old mice pinks. Okay. Yeah, day, day old mice pinks. I mean, it's just a corn snake on a stick. Then corn I mean, snake on a, a stick. Deal. It turns into a ball python on a stick. <laughs> yeah. Is yeah. that what you feed your your baby corns? Yeah. I mean, but, you know, just like anything else, there's a bunch of pain in the ass. I still have one that, you know, I need to put a null juice on. I make this a null juice and put a pinky in there and it eats. But, yeah, these uh, these tend to like that chick down. And um, I just sold Marlin over your little invention. It's so cool. And something else, when we were at your house for Carpet Fest, I feel like something else I feel like you invented. Um, well, I think you're talking about like um, who makes the 3D perches and stuff like that. That's uh, David David Brahms makes those, and yeah, he's he's got a 3D printer and he he produces some cool stuff. Does he keep condos himself? Yeah, or he, he does. Just makes okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. Mostly, how these things come about is you keep you know the animals yourself. It's yeah. not just some random investor <laughs> like. Hey, <laughs> right. I think we should make a, a fortune <laughs> purchase. But like, this is better than like our little setup where you you know soldered holes in the side of the tub and. Well, yeah, this, this is Bill Stiegel. He's a big deal, you know. <laughs> Way more legit than us. <laughs> legit, yeah. <laughs> well, this is, um, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about buying a chondro as an impulse buy, and I would sell, I would sell somebody a captive bred entry level chondro as an impulse buy, if they live close to me, mm-hmm. you know, so I could like troubleshoot in person, and if they got the right setup, and this is the right setup. Yeah. This is so simple. It's just a, it's a Rubbermaid tub. These are just plastic coat hangers. And you just put a little, you know, foliage in there to give it some um, some place to feel protected. And then this is just a, a Reptile Basics uh, heat pad. Mm-hmm. And these things are made to heat up to about 95 degrees. So you don't even need a thermostat. Sorry. <laughs> and can you guys read lips? <laughs> so you don't need a thermostat. And this is just, it's super basic. And that's the way that I think, um, especially baby and juvenile chondros should be kept. Yeah. You know, the classic that you see is, and I see this on a Facebook forum. You put in a giant zoom Every egg. week, exactly. <laughs> and this is how this, this is how the post starts. I just got my first baby chondro at the local show. Okay, and then I'm already scratching my head. And he goes in, it won't eat. You know, it's just laying on the floor. 
Well, tell me about That's your good sign. setup. <laughs> well, like to rest sometimes. It, it's on a, it's in a, you know, two foot exoterra. Um, and the exoterra looks beautiful. You know, it's got all the lean, you know, like big, you big branches did, you in there. You tried hard. It's just someone gave you the wrong information, maybe. Right. Or you just, you're building that enclosure for you and not for the animal. Right. Because you want it to look cool. Yeah. But these things do. Simplest is best to get them established. Uh, they do the best in a ball python rack. Mm-hmm. You know, all these babies are right next to my ball pythons in a yeah. rack. The only difference is, is they got a plastic perch in there and the ball pythons don't. Right. So they do well in small, secluded, dark, you know, places. Mm-hmm. And But once they get established, I think you can successfully keep them in just about anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's mm-hmm. so crazy just looking. I mean, that baby is so dark red. And, like, I mean, you can see... Uh, that's not even that's almost like i don't know what color it is like burgundy like it's not even so how long until you can i mean a lot of people ask how long is are you until you can handle your green tree i tell people a year yeah um if they grow faster and they get a little bit bigger there's nothing hard and fast about a weight or an age i tell people a year hoping that they'll wait seven or eight months before they hold it <laughs> yeah, <I> mean, <laughs> you know? year they may jump shoot, shoot that a little bit sometimes they get off the perch and you have to hold them um you know yeah but the reason that you don't hold them is because their tail is so fragile it's literally like tissue paper that they can get um kinked very easily that's the reason we don't sex them as babies because uh as gentle and, and as good as you think you are at sexing these uh babies they'll get they'll develop kinks and they'll develop them later. You won't kink it really? right away. It'll, you, you know, it'll be a year later and you all of a sudden you say, well, gosh, my condor has a kink in it. I wonder why. And it's because you bought it at the show sexed as a female. <laughs> <laughs> bought it at the show. You bought it at the show, the local show. But yeah. not from you at the show. <laughs> well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy, it's you know, we've talked game. about it. Buy at the show if they can show you pictures of the parents, if they can yeah. show you pictures of the mom on eggs. Um, I mean, I don't know many people. I don't know any chondro people who vent shows, really. You're right, and that's one of the problems. And the problem is is because, really, chondro people don't have, quote, have to vent right. the shows to sell the animals. <laughs> Well, well, because you're working a niche market where right. only certain people give a fuck and the people at the shows don't give a fuck. So they're like, I'm not going to spend the extra on this snake because I've seen it cheaper somewhere else. They've seen it cheaper. They don't want, you know, they can't justify spending the extra money. Um, but to be honest, you know, these things, they just, um, I don't have to go vend a show to sell them. They, they just, they sell themselves. Mm-hmm. But that, I don't think that's an excuse to not for condo people. If they want to, grow the community that would be like community outreach you do absolutely and that's why you know the animals that i'm bringing to the show i'm not going to bring these red babies to that show i've acquired some captive bred yellow babies from a friend of mine that i'm going to bring the show that are entry level Mm -hmm. chondros i mean you know i I would never sell an animal like this to a first time person that Mm -hmm. had never kept chondros before it wouldn't be good for me for the person or for the snake yeah um but having said that, I think it is our responsibility to make ourselves more prevalent in the community, um, you know, and I'm going to try to do that. But as far as the community goes, I see the things on Facebook. I mean, obviously, I'm not about to say anything, but but it's like 
some person posts something and then it's like blows up. It seems like there's always like once a week a post that's blowing up on the Chondro groups on Facebook because someone's got an exoterra with their giant snake or like, thanks. you know, there's always the little things that people post thinking my snake's cute and then it blows <laughs> out of proportion. I would say that I think um, the Condor community has maybe rightfully so. I think more in the past than even now has gotten a little bit of a bad rap for being intolerant to new people. They police people, though. But there's a fine line, there is, between being intolerant and policing um, newcomers and even our own. I mean, there's been some major drama in the Condor community that has has involved people that have been in the community Mm -hmm. and kept uh, animals for a long time, but that doesn't make them a saint. And mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, people in our community do the wrong thing. Um, and it doesn't make them a sinner. Well, when they <laughs> when they do the wrong thing, one strike, motherfucker. <laughs> one more, and you're out. Uh, you know, if they do the wrong thing, you know, people are prepared to call them out too. Not just a new person that comes into the community and. You know, there was a post a couple of weeks ago about the guy that came in, came in, and he introduced himself and he said he was going to make a bunch of money. Oh doing, yeah, doing condor. Do you remember good. that? Did you <laughs> yeah, see that post? Yeah. He's going to make a bunch of money uh, breeding <laughs> condros, and he wanted to know where to buy a bunch of females from or something like that. You know, and if you come in and you introduce yourself that way, that that's not going to go over. There's well. definitely a standard in the condor community, and if you are that guy, no one's going to buy from you anyway, because there's only 20 of you fuckers. Who are willing to, <laughs> well, we're just willing, buying and selling from each other. <laughs> willing to buy a baby that's yellow or red and hope that it turns into something blue, but they're mostly green, so. Also, like, aren't you just start the thing you, you go into saying, I'm going to make a bunch of money. Like, that's just not the, the one you choose for that. Well, You've got to have some some passion, some other passions in it to do green trees other than making money. I feel like you gotta, like your love has to be stronger than your money making desire. I feel like with green trees, cause they're so difficult and wacky. They're, they are, they're more difficult. I, I don't think you should, uh, you know, plan on being successful trying to breed any reptile and make money doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just doesn't, just doesn't happen very often and um, yeah i mean the math never really pans out it really exactly doesn't how you expect it to but i mean especially in chondros i've said this like a bunch of times like it seems like the people who are really really good at it are really really focused also yeah they're not they don't have 30 fucking species of all different types of things that need all different types of enclosures and stuff like that people are generally pretty focused i'd say that's that's a pretty accurate statement um but i but i keep a bunch of different stuff i mean you know you can you can keep them and you can breed them successfully and not be just super focused on condor you can do it they still fit within your puzzle they do yeah they're right they're not diamonds it does It, it fits in and the other stuff that i'm keeping isn't so radically different um husbandry wise than chondros so evan asked what yellows you have and what are they oh the yellows i have um came from a guy in louisiana and they're biak jaya crosses i'm so captive born and bred a guy named robbie maxwell robbie maxwell what part of Louisiana do you know? I don't, to be honest. Can he read or write? Most people from Louisiana can't. So <laughs> this guy can because he. High level. This guy can because he filled out the FedEx label perfect. 
awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Good to know. I've been losing faith, but... Sorry. Someone told you you have perfect hair except for a little bit in the back. Thank you. Okay. You know, I'm mostly facing forward, but now I'll just was, keep on facing it, forward. Were they talking time. about you or me? Me. <laughs> I think Lily Pat said you had pinchable cheeks oh, in the yeah, beginning, though. Really? Most people get some nicknames off of there, so... You've been we'll spared for now, at least. We'll see. We'll see yeah, what the mine is. Guy who does the like naming isn't here. Like, so he named uh, Evan Ice Cube, and Ryan. What was Ryan? Ryan was the donkey oh, from Shrek. The donkey <laughs> from Shrek. And they What was Austin? What was um, uh, Austin? He was Rangar, which is Ragnar. Ragnar. I don't even know what Ragnar. Some like Icelandic Viking. <laughs> okay, yeah. that makes that makes sense. Um, and then they said Joe. And I'm Shrek when he turns into a human. Like at the end of the Shrek movie. Apparently yeah. he turns into a human and apparently looks. Look like it. Yeah, whatever. Oh, well, so, at least she yeah. didn't look like the Shrek the monster. <laughs> yeah, it's an the upgrade. Last one was someone told Dave Perlich he looks like a young Leonardo DiCaprio. Wow. Like whoa. That. <laughs> <laughs> the Dave Perlich that we know? Yeah. That, that, that guy? Well, they were being a little generous. But... <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Dave didn't say he looked like a young Leonardo. No, Dave no, didn't I say. They... <laughs> or an aged Leonardo. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm glad that nickname guy's not here, not on tonight. Not yeah. <laughs> so as far as... Wait, I missed the yellow thing. I th- I wasn't even listening about... Um... He said the guy in Louisiana. Okay, yeah, the guy in Louisiana. Because I was like, my question's based off of that, but I forgot what I heard. See, when I drink and we're doing the podcast... He <laughs> on his fourth beer. A little like most of them at the end, it gets a little slurry and weird, so well, forgive you, me. You heard my the reason why I'm not drinking, right? Yeah, I mean, not in depth, but... Well, so I have to take this medicine. I'm in the healthcare profession, and I somewhere last beginning of this year, I was exposed to tuberculosis Whoa. and didn't, didn't well, know Well, I mean, before I asked you to come <laughs> over, I, you should have maybe told me about this. <laughs> um, so we have to get tested once a year, a PPD it's called a PPD test, and if you turn positive, then you have a to take a little bubble, this. right? Yeah, a little uh, skin wheel mm-hmm. that they put on your arm. And if you te- test positive, you have to take this medication called INH for six months. And the- I have a friend she's going, she's going away or something. She had to take something that is related to TB, and hers was nine months, and so she couldn't drink for nine months, and she was struggling. Yeah, I've got a countdown on my phone. It's just <laughs> clicking them seconds off. So when did this start? Uh, I'm about four months into the six months. Okay. So, yeah, I was talking to Joe. Tinley was tough. Yeah, I mean. (laughs) Watching all those drunk bastards, you know. You can't hang out after, like, six if you're sober. It was tough. Around all those guys. But, I mean, I just, that's why, like, I used to work in a hospital. I used to do, like, psych security. So you're always getting scratched and spit on and shit on or (laughs) jacked off on. I don't know. All different types of things. What kind of hospital were you working at, man? 
Hannibal, so like, Hannibal Lecter. So I was like, I had to watch a homeless guy change while he had scabies, but I have to watch him change and deal with his clothes. He had fucking scabies. <laughs> so yeah, I understand why you may have gotten TB or whatever. I didn't. But I don't have TB. Are you Joe? not? Is it not spreadable right now? No, I, I didn't get TB. I was just exposed if to it. If we just don't like make out, do uh, I, have I, I was just exposed it? to it, man. Uh, so that means I've taken the medicine, so I don't get TB. Oh, so it's a preventative. It's a preventative. preventative measure. Pretty much. That's pretty intense. Yeah. Yep. I'm off track now. What, <laughs> about? what was your question related to the yellows and the Louisiana guy? So why did you pick up those particular animals in general? Were you just trying to buy a few, hold a couple back, and sell the rest? Uh, no, I wanted to do it because what we talked about. I want to. Um, have them at a local show. You want a good product to put out there. Well, yeah, I want to introduce people in the area that haven't been introduced to captive bred green trees. I want to be able to introduce them mm-hmm. um, and let them talk to somebody that knows a little bit more about them than just the the other people that will have green trees at the local show. I think that's reasonable because, I mean, at least for me, my whole thing was I'm not willing to invest all the money just because... I know that it's never coming back to me because I may probably just have one for, you know, the rest of my keeping life. So, sure. So it's like uh, when Ben's came across, it was at a reasonable price and that got me into the chondro thing. So, I mean, it's good to have a lower priced animal to where you can introduce people to with a captive bred animal. And I always I never wanted a farm bred one. So, no, I mean, that's and that's exactly the reason that I've acquired these and I'm going to bring them to the show. Right. Um, I vend these shows because it's fun for me. I don't, I don't vend the shows very often, and I don't vend them to really to make money. I mean, I vend them for fun, and so I want to be able to go up there with some captive bred green trees and talk green trees to people that may not mm-hmm. know too much about them, just like we're doing tonight. Yeah, you know, and be able to. What he said is, I don't know much about green trees. I think that's what. I What's that? <laughs> what you're implying is, I don't know much about green trees. <laughs> no, I said we're talking about green trees, <laughs> which is kind of true. It's kind of true. You know more than the average person. No, you know a lot more. I like more the history aspect than the yeah. actual keeping. So yeah. I like more learning about like. I'm really into all the stuff that you know, maybe Trooper Walsh did or Eugene Bissett or. I'm more into because in the future, if I want to get, there's a few snakes I have on my radar that aren't commonly kept, you know, something like a green rat snake, you know, some even North American colubrids that aren't kept a lot. So I can, I think it's stupid to not, especially some people are like, I don't want to learn about ball pythons or any of that shit. I listen to all those podcasts, all those things, because it manifests itself across all snakes. So it's like if one person's working with this gene and that gene, well, that gene works like that. It works like that in a lot of different python species. So you can say, like, the spider is the jaguar, and this to that, and this to that. You know, there's a lot of parallels you can absolutely you can draw between those. Absolutely, and I'm like you. I like the history part of of keeping the chondros too. It's just it's different than any other the other stuff I keep. Um, it's just, uh, and you know, we talked a lot about oh, with people like blue animals or people like black mm-hmm. animals or I hope it turns blue. For anybody that's never held a chondro before, it's different than holding any other thing. I mean, the first time I held one, it was a green, green chondro. Snake. It was a green snake. <laughs> 
but it was even so when you first cool. see it when you first see it everyone loves a green snake and then you get way into snakes and then you realize that green's normal then you're like i want a yellow one or <laughs> right. a blue one it's just because it's that's because it's right it's not the norm it's just us we've seen it too much so it's like the green are the most beautiful they are but we have seen green too much so yeah. that's really it well, like for new people like me like he can tell you when we first started dating like green trees automatically my favorite now I'm a little yeah. bit more towards emeralds, just I really I don't know I really like I them. Like but I like emeralds too. too much. <laughs> <laughs> but Our I just Amazon basin, so I just I like the I like the white to green balance on a lot of the emeralds. On the emerald, on the Amazon basin emeralds. Yeah. High, high, cha-ching, high, <laughs> high dollar. Yeah. But I feel like I've seen some at shows that have green and white, and are those expensive? Yeah, I haven't. No, in ARBC, I've seen some emeralds in ARBC. I had a northern that was beautiful. I kept her until she was about three years old. Just a um, beautiful white, just like you're talking about, just snow white uh, markings. They weren't as as large, um, but she was beautiful and super super tame. But I got rid of her because when she got big enough, you know, just the, if I ever got bit by her, if I ever get bit by an emerald, it's mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to work. You know, I for can't work for a while. You know, you go yeah. get some stitches or people don't want to see me walk in in my scrubs and <laughs> with a cast. A of, <laughs> right. With a bunch of big puncture. <laughs> yeah. Your profession's a little bit different. You they don't want to see a bunch of snake big snake bitten right. hands you know getting ready to take care of them so <laughs> i got rid of her i still i loved her though she was awesome so is the same do you feel the same way about emeralds at shows that you do about green trees i to be honest i don't know enough about emeralds i don't okay. know where most of them come from i know at tinley they they've had some captive bred and hatched um emeralds that looked really cool but I really don't know enough about them to. We gotta find someone on the show. Wait, say where I got two more questions. Sorry. Right, Evan said, "Do you need those cages?" I don't know what he's talking about, but he's asking you, "Do you need, need those it. cages?" He said he has a couple if you need. Tell oh. him, uh, nope, that I I scored Home Depot. I, I, <laughs> I scored at Home Depot. To move up my green tree if he's if he's offering. <laughs> Um, okay. Someone asked, will you be at the next, well, I don't know if he's asking Joe or you, but will you be at the next NARBC, which isn't for a while, but, (laughs) um, I will definitely be there. I'm not sure if I'll vend it, but I I always go. Joe will be there. We'll be there. I don't when is the next one in February, February. Yeah. We'll be there. Also, someone said, what about the NIDO virus hitting the green trees? I don't know what that is. Yeah. NIDO virus is, uh, it's a, it's pro- nidovirus has probably been around for a long time, but they just recently have been able to accurately detect it and, and diagnose it. And nidovirus, it, it's a virus, and um, it's not just in green trees. It's oh. nidovirus is in any of the Morelia, so carpet pythons. Okay. They've discovered it uh, in carpet pythons, green tree pythons, ball pythons, boas. Wow. Um, so nidovirus is not just specific to green tree pythons, um, but it, it's a virus that usually causes respiratory infections. Okay. Because it's a virus, it's not treatable. Mm. In other words, you can't give it antibiotics. Um, other than that, they still don't know enough about nidovirus to really make any generalized statement. Gotcha. Other than collections have been wiped out by nidovirus. Um, 
So just uh, so you're just SOL if it happens, you know, or occurring in all captive bred animals. Yeah, Maybe it's captive bred. No, it's uh, well, I think it's it's a virus of captivity, but obviously if you bring an import in, it's susceptible to it. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, the nitrovirus virus is something that uh, people are just you have to be real careful with it. Obviously, you uh, use your normal quarantine. Um, procedures but the problem about nidovirus is they think there might be a carrier state where you could quarantine an animal for two three months uh, act fine you introduce it into your general collection and then it spreads to animals that don't tolerate the virus Mm -hmm. so it's so it's essentially the IBD of the Python world if you're familiar with the boas and the IBD yeah it could be like IBD or there's other viruses that have been around um, for a long time that are, you know, can decimate a collection. I think they they tend to kind of come and go in, you know, ups and downs as far as their, you know, when they're active or how, how they're spread. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's just one of those things. You just have to, to be as careful as you can, uh, know the source from the animals that you get, quarantine it. Um, but that's really, at this point, all you can do. You know, it's just, yeah. it's a risk for all of us i mean i always praise that i mean i had pretty much a whole collection die on me when i had ball pythons from something where i worked with a vet over and over again we can never find the solution you know just the antibiotics antibiotics fecal swab stuff like that never found what it was and it seems like all these viruses have gone through ball python collections just no one said anything so yeah i think that's absolutely right hell you know it, it could have been nidovirus mm-hmm. they just didn't have a way to diagnose it then um but yeah a lot of people when that happens to them they don't want to talk about it either they feel like they've done something wrong or you know i don't know why people don't want to be more open about it um but it, it doesn't help when things are kept from other people Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, try to be transparent. I think it's like the only thing we can do because I feel like veterinary medicine isn't to the point, at least for reptiles, where we can, everything's a respiratory infection, right? There's no, it doesn't get more specific than that. So how do you feel about the current state of reptile medicine? You know, I've been lucky because um, Buddy and I have been hosting the show for a few years now to be able to talk to some of the real you know, vet, exotic vet experts um, about green tree pythons in particular. And, um, you know, you're right. There's, it's not just if you get a sick animal, just give it some antibiotics. There's, you know, you have to start with your husbandry. Okay, is your husbandry, is there something, you know, something wrong with with your husbandry? Because a lot of these animals that get respiratory infections, you know, it's, they're called opportunistic pathogens. In other words, they're bugs that are normally in the animal's blood system, respiratory system, but because the animal gets stressed, then they don't, they weaken their immune response. And so these, these organisms that normally live in their mouth are able to take over. So first of all, you got to figure why is the animal stressed? And so if there's a husbandry issue that needs to be addressed, you address that, then you treat the infection, and then hopefully everything is good. There's also a big monkey that's taking care of them all the time. You know, us. I mean, <laughs> right. Wouldn't you say that's a source of stress? So how do we not do that? No, there's there's no doubt about it. It's it, you know you're keeping you're keeping one of the you're keeping these things in a box. Yeah. You know, in a 
two but two foot. It's three weird foot that box. we keep them as clean as we can when they're from the wild. Right. But it's like I still do that, even though I don't know. Uh, but it's such a different. It's like it's comparing apples so to different. oranges. Yeah. It really is. You know, you just can't. You want to keep your animal. It doesn't have to be a sterile environment, but you mm-hmm. want to keep your. You know, your husbander needs to be good, no matter what you're taking care of. But I feel like we're still kind of in the Stone Age as far as we're starting to use tools and stuff like that. And we can breed and keep them alive, but maybe we still have some ways to go. So that's why, I mean, I always encourage people to experiment within the realm if they're doing everything correctly in the beginning, you know, to branch out from there. I think there's always something we can do better. That, that's, how, um, that's how new discoveries are found. Um, and condors are no different. There's a lot of people have gone through, you know, stages where they think that they found a way that works better. And sometimes they do. Mm-hmm. And so it's always kind of evolving. We were talking earlier about feeding mice versus rats, you know, mm-hmm. back in the day, um, it was normal to feed rats and, but people through certainly not through any specific, uh, scientific data have pretty much determined most people feel now that it's better to feed them mice and you know then that was just trial and error a lot of people talk you know just talking it over well i think maybe the rat thing derives from us saying if my snake eats it's good i want to get it as much food as possible so it can breed and all that stuff we probably had our snakes too fat and yeah that 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 could certainly be because a a rat is does have more fat in it than a mouse Mm -hmm. um you know, chondro keepers, everybody's so excited when their animal eats. Yeah. Chondro keepers are excited when their animal drinks. You know, that's like <laughs> when I get my camera out, is when, you know, I see I've that. never seen my green tree drink you, once. See, I mean, having it, it's such like a cool thing to, you know, to see it drink. I'm like, quit, get the camera. Yeah. You know, it eating is such a, it's such a no brainer. Yeah, camera. I would eat every night if I fed it every night, you know. Yeah. So, except these damn babies. Have you have you messed around with? I do reptilink sometimes. I do yeah. frog and rabbit, which I originally got for the hog nose, but the GTP eats anything. So that's not a. I didn't directly buy the links for him. I would yeah. have picked something else if I was getting it just for the green tree. But he eats it. Do you mix it up at all? I don't, but I would. Um, I mean, I know Mark's really into mixing it up. Is he? Yeah. I, I haven't, but I certainly would. Um, in fact, I got some Reptilinks for these babies uh, because really the worst thing, the most, you know, the the, the worst tr- tr- nutritionally thing on the planet is a baby mouse pink. You yeah. know, it's nothing a but. A ball of fat. A ball of water. It's just a, whatever the hell. Yeah, there's a there's nothing in it other than water and skin. Yeah. So it's, it's really a terrible nutritional thing to give to a, a brand new baby. Um, so I got some reptilinks and it's really hard to get a, a baby chondro to eat. At least it has been for me, a reptilink. What's the blend? Mm, I got the quail, which, uh, yeah, no, 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 no. What, which one did I get? Yeah. I got the quail. I the feel quail the scent doesn't go through the casing. So you may have to scent your casing. Yeah. Because otherwise, it doesn't really carry much of a of the, a scent. The other problem with the reptilinks for the babies is it's so soft and so small. Mm. The casing on it, like if I do get one to to strike it, it strikes it Those and then just wraps. Will... Well, it just wraps it and then it just obliterates. Obliterates it. There's nothing for it to eat. There's just paste all over its body. So, I, I have had a. I did get a couple of these babies to actually just open its mouth 
and take one and then just kind of swallow it without constricting, which is really cool. Mm. And it was awesome because when they took a shit, it instead of having like a little diarrhea black stain, it shit what looked like a reptile ink. I mean, it was like a well-formed, yeah. you know, little reptostool. <laughs> and I'd never seen that before. And are these the condensed links or are these the ones that are encasing? If you know what I'm talking like the well, petrified ones? or I, I don't know what they consider them, to be honest. I just mm. know that it's very, very thin. I mean, and like if you just pick it up with tongs and you squeeze it too tight, it just like collapses. Because, I yeah, that might be the condensed, like, petrified ones, which I keep for the baby hognose. Yeah, like, yeah. I keep the cased ones for the larger ones. Yeah, yeah. They don't make any casing for the, the smaller ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, sometimes it can be a little mushy, like, gelatin-feeling type yeah. of weird thing. Yep. But it's like um, my green tree, when it eats the reptilink, it actually will take two weeks because I'm usually a guy who waits for them to go to the bathroom before and then to see them cruising around. Before you feed again. Before I feed. So... Um, the Reptilink kept it over for like two weeks in comparison to maybe the regular week and a half to a week. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Did did it uh, shit look any different that you could tell? Not in general. I mean, honestly, it's kind of hard because I keep a um, cocoa husk on the bottom. Sometimes it's hard to find it at all. It yeah. seems like they go to the bathroom. I mean, I keep colubrids. So, I mean, I feed them one rat. They shit three times and it's very easy to find it. Right. The green trees, it seems it's very different. It's it's one of the reasons, that's one of the reasons that I prefer a non-naturalistic habitat for right. my green trees because um, it's easy to find that shit on a on a. I used to keep paper towel, but I, I don't mean, know. I got fancy. I don't know why. I think it looks 100% better, <laughs> and it probably maintains humidity better. Yeah. But um, if you do that, then you have to be pretty vigilant about getting that shit out there because it will... You know, I think the mold that comes that could potentially come from there makes them more susceptible to respiratory infections. That makes so. sense. Okay, this might be a basic question. I don't know. Also, babe, can I have a beer too? We drink all these. <laughs> yeah, you've already had four. He's a greedy bastard, isn't he? Well, I have my wine, but um, someone yeah, asked. You have like four bottles of wine. Right? Yes, but I like the beer too. Um, I feel like I should know the answer to this question, but I don't. Um, what other species are like emeralds and green trees, as in they like to basically live on the branch slash perch? No. I know. Basic question, but I don't know. But, but that's also very widespread at the same time. Okay. Well, what's your answer? Well, there's just a lot of venomous species and different arboreal species, but I mean, it seems one-to-one green trees are very similar to emeralds in comparison to anything else, right? It, it's amazing that two completely divergent species... Opposite you, sides of the world. Opposite sides of the world. Lay eggs, live birds. Right. One's a boa, one's a python. Same fucking that, that they <laughs> both evolved to function almost exactly the same. I mean, I mean, they're kept the same. They, they both have, you know, large teeth and thin bodies and arboreal and eat the same stuff. And it's, it's amazing that they've evolved so dis- differently, but they're the same. So, yeah. so similar. Evan says ATB. What is that? Amazon tree boa, yeah, which I guess I didn't even think of for some reason, but yeah, I mean, your Amazon tree boa is going to be your boa that stays on a perch. Um, okay, we have some other things. Jose Gallo said he's going to be with you at Lone Star. Jose is, yeah. Okay, cool. I don't know who that is. I'll introduce you to Jose. He's a good guy. Um. Also, someone said, oh, the... 
what was it something oh there's a study that shows ibd came from rats and mice what what mice <laughs> you don't have to read everything word for word all right we can use proper grammar <laughs> Mousies, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting. I don't know. I mean, I looked into it because I thought that my ball pythons, when all that thing was going, I thought it had IBD, but I had no boas. So I was like, what's going on? Maybe the person before had boas, but it it was something else. I got tested for IBD and it didn't have it because I had some dead ball pythons that I could give them for them to test. I think they test a liver or something like that. Yeah. But um, otherwise, I don't know where IBD comes from. Uh, I can't contribute. Not qualified. Know. Not qualified. You can look up the study. Um, also, side note, they noted that Lone Star is the same weekend that Star Wars comes out. And someone said Lone Star Wars. Or, or, was, that Bri- was that Brian that made that comment? That sounds uh, like something Brian would say. No, whoever MMD buddy is. <laughs> well, they can go to Lone Star during the day and... Yeah, Star Wars I mean, Lone Star is like a six-hour period, and the movie's probably only five hours or so. So, Lone Star Wars. Okay, all right, that's I'm, fair. I'm, I'm I mean, digging it. If I'm gonna... Lone Star marketed at all, they could put they could put something together, but they, they, they don't. Well, they cater to the same crowd pretty much every time. Yeah, I'm gonna crash that party. Also, Jose said, "Bill, what's your next what's your next project for next year?" Uh, coming up, um, green tree wise, I can't wait. I hope the sickness is ready. Mm-hmm. I hope he's ready to go. I've, I've got, um, talked about breeding him to a blue line female that's ready to go. Um, and potentially breeding him back to that blue cyclops. We're just going to see how he can does. Can you run green tree males to two females? Yeah, you can. Um, I probably w- wouldn't him cause he's small. Um, is that an eating thing or just your frequency of feeding or? Oh, what the reason that Is he's he small or no i just i you just can't keep them small you just you, you need to keep them small and grow them slowly and so three years old is still a young um male green tree what what age are you usually looking for um, or is that a weight anything no i think age is much more important in green trees than weight um you know, I've got the the father to the sickness is a he's a, a designer animal, but he's big. I mean, he's a big. He's probably four times the size of the sickness, but he's eight or nine years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will give the sickness a shot at three. It wouldn't surprise me if he didn't want to breed until he's four. Um, so I'm looking forward to that, and then trying to do a sickness, you know, repeat pairing. Yeah. That uh, that animal, I'd love to. Because this time I'll know for sure what to look for if, if some more sicknesses pop out. So you're not putting the sickness to a jungle carpet or <laughs> Hell no. I'm crazy, <laughs> but I'm not that crazy. <laughs> do you have Carpondro yeah, projects going yeah. on? Yeah, I'm going to do uh, one Carpondro project this year. It'll be a 50% Carpondro. A Carpondro, to people who don't know, is a hybrid. It's a green tree carpet hybrid. Um, and I've got blasphemy to most, <laughs> to many, I wouldn't say most, maybe to most 70%. <laughs> uh, but yes, so I've got some Carpondros speaking of Carpondros. If you haven't had Tony Jerome on, you ought to get him on the show. He sometime. wouldn't come on. He I wouldn't come on. He said, he said, you can come over. You could like take pictures of my collection, but I don't want to talk. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'll tell you, get his wife over and she can be on. There you go. She can <laughs> talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His wife's Melissa. Okay. Yeah. They're, they're good folks, but he, he's produced some Carpondros. I've never produced Carpondros. I've tried several times and the females that have gone have always slugged out. Are you trying to go carpet female, green tree male? Does it matter? Yeah. I mean, I've always tried green tree male to female carpet and that tends to be the best recipe. Also carpet females are easier, right? So does that have anything to do with it? Yeah, I think probably so. Um, I know it's been done both ways. I've done a lot of research on carpondros um, because I wanted to produce them. I'm pretty sure there's never been a male, a 50% male carpondro that's ever been fertile. Really? Yeah. Interesting enough, but... But the females are. The females, 50% females are. But interesting enough, there's been a couple of 75% males that are fertile. Hmm. 75, and when I say 75%, that's 75% green tree. Okay. So that's really weird. Yeah. But I'm, I'm going to breed a 75% green tree male to a 50% Although, carpondro. I mean, that makes sense, though, that the intergenus breeding, as far as you don't want them to be in the same genus, but they breed together and mostly fertile so it seems like maybe that they would be in the same genus you know Morelia. yeah 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 okay i was just making that yeah as a far as as opposed to keeping them in the chondropython uh, genus yeah, yeah yeah so are carpondro genetics as wacky as chondro Genetics. It's obviously oh, there's it's like, probably worse. Fucking blender. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's even worse. Although I I will say that you know the jaguar influence and I know zebra the zebra influence and in carpets will transfer over into carpondros. It's it seems like to me either they get a lot brighter or dirtiest. Like I've seen really dirty ugly ones. I've seen like, some horrible looking fifty <laughs> percent like, carpondros. Throw that thing out. Yeah. <laughs> what is going on? I, and I think you know the back in the day when carpondros were made they would just take like their ugliest green tree and their ugliest <laughs> carpet and put them together because <laughs> they, they didn't no need they didn't want to waste <laughs> you know the, the, the right the pretty ones. But now like the ones that Tony produced are those things are well stunning. i think um if i'm correct i think eugene produced the first ones and he called it something else uh, i i think eugene did produce he called it something different really than a carpondro no yeah interesting I, d- I don't know that story so, um because i just i just recently re-listened to the npr eugene episode yeah from forever ago which is a he classic called it something else but i don't remember um I'd be mad if I did the first one and then everyone forgot about my. It's thing. Eugene Bissett. Fuck off! Like he <laughs> right. a, he's got enough. He doesn't give yeah, a fuck. He, he, doesn't, like, he doesn't care. <laughs> yeah. So he's actually someone who produces pretty much corn snakes for a living, and he does ball pythons now. But he does wholesale corn snakes. Is he I mean, guy? sorry. That's yeah, he's he's not young. All right. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's he's older than me. So yeah, he's old. <laughs> I was thinking purely in terms of podcasts. I'm like, typically when we ask. Some older generation people to be on the podcast. They're a little cautious about the technology. Yeah, I don't think you'd get them on. That's why Bill came over, because he's a little (laughs) bit too old to fuck with (laughs) us. You're damn right. I brought my flip phone up here, and I'm going to show you whippersnappers. Someone we asked to be on there, he's like, yeah, I used to do it on my flip phone. I'm like, wait, what? How did you even do a podcast on your flip phone? Some kids weren't even alive when a flip phone was there. Lily Pad, who listens to this, probably doesn't even know what a flip phone is. Is, so yeah, she 
She's seen. She's seen old movies. Lily she, Pad. She's is seen eighty smart movies. As fuck. She's sixteen. They know. They've never seen one, but they know. Yeah, they seen. Like, yeah. We know about the original Game Boy. We weren't alive. No. When that first I, came out. I was. Do you know what? about? Do you yes, know about? Yes, you were. Came out. Do you know about disco? The dancing. Yeah. Yes, of course. <laughs> okay. John Travolta taught yeah. me that. Well, he wonders. Also, Evan said he said. Wait, Evan said he could get Tony on. He thinks. All right. Well, smooth him. I don't know because I tried. I mean, I just take his word for it. If he doesn't want to go on, then sure. whatever. You know. We we At have, the end of the day. Yeah, we we have guests like that too that don't want to come on. And if the first time that you bring a guest on that doesn't want to come on or he's not a real good communicator you'll regret it yeah no, it's like <laughs> if you have a non-talker on and yeah. you pull in and yeah pull in, it, it it's gets really tired it's really re- turns into a long show <laughs> for everybody yeah so i mean if he doesn't want to talk whatever uh, well how many how long have you been doing yours the our uh, podcast uh-huh. like this is our third year okay. also i noticed we have gtp episodes and they get higher but there seems to be less people there just seem to be the most interested in everything so it's like i don't know because it's like we don't have gtp fans in general but the gtp people come out when we have the episodes okay i got you how the fuck does that work i have no i have no idea like we just i saw you posted that we're you're gonna have me on today Mm -hmm. you know and i mean I, i shared it but I have no idea how they would even know that I was going to be on. But for some reason, this will get more downloads than anyone else. You think so? Well, like, I mean, even at one point today, we had 18 people listening at one time, which is very rare for us. Like, Well, you'll you'll be Travis Wyman was really, really it, high as far as that so goes. so surprising because that was the most like intense, like hardcore snake one we've done which maybe that's what people want i don't know we try to usually keep it kind of light for everyone but the travis wineland one got so popular but like i was lost half the conversation like i had no idea what we were talking do you guys do this you give every week right Mm -hmm. yeah that's crazy so he was very travis he very in depth and perfect i mean amazing for people who really are snake nerds really getting deep down into it like so fucking thorough i mean whoa he could he could answer the ibd question yeah but he probably could he he was going into all these different dimmers and turn off this gene turn on this gene co-dominant explain like but i'm sure he couldn't explain chondro fucking genes (laughs) (laughs) you should have him on gtp keeper radio it'd be cool yeah Yeah, Yeah, he was a great guy to talk to he he loves doing it we'll hook you up does he yeah where does he live he lives in Virginia, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Real well, awkward always... if he's listening to this and we're talking about <laughs> him. Yeah. Vincent, damn, he did shitty then. But I mean, like, there's. <laughs> I don't know what he means. No, Evan, I think he's like his number. I don't know. Evans did really good. One of his the like the return of Ice Cube one. The return. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you let him on twice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the return of Ice Cube one did really well. I remember that. No, yeah, but I'm good. saying just green trees in general just are much higher i think it's just because the community itself like to educate itself more than all the other communities maybe i uh, i don't know it's uh like i think it's the smartest the highbrow the smartest people no it's just the most highbrow snobbiest <laughs> fucking motherfucker <laughs> fuck you joe <laughs> 
It's just the other ones are more like, you know, the corn snake community is a lot of my snake is cute, that stuff. And you wait, you get a lot of that stuff out when you're talking about green trees, which is nice and not nice compared to who you talk to. I mean, it is what it is. You know, we are aware we have a lot. uh, The diversity in the green tree community is is just as diverse as as any of the other reptile communities. I I promise. The ones on one side, they all die. And the other ones, they all live. The ones you think they're cute, they all die. That's a good point. Um, someone said, why is there so much heat between intergrades and purist when it happens in the wild? I don't think green cheese that happens in the wild, but it doesn't happen in the in the wild. Um, I think it it could geographically, but it doesn't. Um, There's but, but other in the way. And stuff. Yeah. But but there are other, you know, uh, they think that diamonds and jungles, you know, do it in inter- uh, breed in in the wild i mean coastals and diamonds may yeah. and they say even some people say that coastals and jungles are the same thing i'll slap them right in the face <laughs> if, if they, they start trying to say face, that <laughs> but but it may be true you know i mean yeah i i i i don't know i've never um i've never really you know we could have we could have a whole show on hybrids um yeah but i you could. Yeah, I would uh, just not he, be. <laughs> like, he shoots them hybrids every time. Like he does not. He's not a fan. Well, some of them, but you know. I mean, there's. You know, some people think that it's ethically an issue to make I don't a hybrid. Think it's ethically. Okay, really. because you know, then other people would look at you and say, "Well, it's not ethical to keep a snake in a box. You know, yeah. in your house. That's they should all be in the wild. You know, there shouldn't be zoos." And so when you start pointing out ethical debates about whether they should you should be doing that because it doesn't happen There's, in wild i start to have a little bit of a problem with that because we're keeping these things in plastic boxes yeah don't be a snob if you're keeping it in a plastic box right I mean, exactly and i mean honestly most of the hybrids look better than the pure animals for the most part unless you're talking about a jungle stuff like that but i mean a lot of times it makes amazing animals and i understand that but for me, it's more the animals where it's a coastal jungle, but they sell it as a jungle. Yes. It's more of the animals that you can't tell the difference. I, sure. Since I'm into jungles. Yeah, that's a that's, that's a, a thing. That's a, it, it is a thing. It's, a, it's an important thing. And people are worried about that with carpondros. You know, they go because some of Tony's 50 carpondros, they look like just an awesome jungle. Um, but the thing about carpondros is they're more expensive than like an awesome looking jungle which is weird because it mostly goes the other way which is why i would say why would you do a hybrid because most of them aren't as expensive or yeah they well a lot of that's because they're sterile Mm -hmm. first of all a lot of the hybrids that you produce are sterile so people aren't willing to pay as much for it as a pet but the thing about carpondros is because they are fertile nobody would misrepresent a carpondro as a pure jungle because it's worth more as a carpondro. There's just a certain like nuclear look to these things where you can tell that they're you, you for some reason. Yeah, you can. Um, but I think if you got higher percentage um, and there are higher percentage carpet carpondros that maybe don't that do look like a carpet, yeah. but nobody would ever sell one as a pure carpet be, mm-hmm. because it's worth more if, if you say it's a carpondro i would be worried about the other way around you know this is 75 percent carpet carpondro well really it looks like looks like 100 carpet to me really it's, 
Yeah, I mean, you, you could go the other way. I mean, at the end of the day, it's morality. Who are you buying from? If exa- you know you're buying exactly. it, it doesn't matter. Right. So it's funny when people say that, but it's like, all right, so I'll just buy from Nick Mutton so I know the thing's pure. <laughs> I'll buy from Michael Pinnell so I know that it's a cult. You know, like, yeah. at the end of the day, the real people know where to get they their do. stock. If it's that important to them. And you then... Know, if lineage yeah. is important to you... There's people for that. There's people for that. Absolutely. And they built their whole, you know, that's a niche that they can work in. And they built their whole business based on the fact that, you know, they have pure animals and are trusted. And I'll tell you, a lot of Condor people hate my guts because I like our, because I like our Pondras. <laughs> that, that, that's not true. They've, they've accepted my, because there's a few of us that, that like them. But at but, least you would never mistake a, no. a green tree for a Pondra. No. And they, because... First of all, people know that I would not ever misrepresent an animal. Yeah. Um, but they like to give me a hard time about it. Um, three questions. Number one, is $120 good for an Amazon tree boa? I hate that is a good question, so we're going to skip that. Okay. Well, Trump Valiant. Oh, so Valiant is in the UK, so it's hard to say for sure. But I would say don't go for the cheapest animal pretty much no matter where you are. Okay, second, someone said coastal and jungles, there's no DNA difference in them. Fuck you, Chris. Fighting <laughs> <laughs> <Well>, words. <laughs> well, they're different subspecies, man. I don't know, that's all. So you're saying there is a DNA difference? Well, in captivity, we made an animal that looks distinctly different than the coastal carpet. So I know my jungle is a jungle because it looks like a fucking jungle. Other than that, I mean, someone put it in their pants in the 70s and brought it over here. You know, they put it in a sock or water bottle, whatever it is. So who am I to say that I know where it came from or what it is or whatever? Because just sketchy stuff happened. Yeah. No one knows for sure. He didn't mean that. Fuck you, Chris, whoever you are. <laughs> kidding, He's kidding. kidding. He's kidding. Okay, last one. Uh, someone said, I found the heads. Well, I'll, who selected skills? I feel like we know who that That's is. Tony. That's Tony. Oh, okay. <laughs> sorry. Well, shit. Yeah, Evan. Well, you're talking Okay, now. sorry. Evan said, man, you need to come and do a podcast. So <laughs> this is the first one he's been he's on. going to try to get him while we're on okay. the podcast. Um, well, Tony said he's found the head scalation is different in the 50-50. I agree 100%. Yeah. I mean, Tony would know, right? Yeah. <laughs> we can't say anything to Brady. He would know. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's You're it's, the guy. It's, I heard. It's definitely, it's definitely different. <laughs> really? Yeah. So, and from 50 50 to 75, 25? Or? Uh, well, the 75% carpet, I don't know. I haven't seen enough of them in mm-hmm. person. The 75% green tree carpondos look way different. I mean, they look way more like a green tree. Really? They act. Way more like they a green tree. They put their exclusively arboreal, yeah. whereas the 50-50s... 50-50s... Are 50 50 right. <laughs> some of them will perch half the time, and some of them will perch none of the time. So, yeah. Makes so much sense. <laughs> so, as far as... We're talking hybrids, but there's technically now a northern chondro and a southern chondro. Right. So, is that in it? That is... That's, is that interbreeding you know, or is that yeah, what's that's, going Yeah, that's a good question. You don't hear the condor guys. They don't want to talk about that too much. But yeah, essentially, if you believe, you know, the new uh, DNA. We always want to split everything. Yeah, I mean, they are. They've, they've made another split. And actually, the people that are doing that research actually think there should probably be five, four or five different. Biak should be 
you know, completely separate from Northern, Southern, and they've, uh, the Australians, you know, maybe a different. So you could just keep taking this. Yeah. You could just keep taking this farther um, and farther. But yeah, I think they're pretty much accepted right now is there's two different species of creatures. Like that. Like that. No, because. Is it technically in taxonomy or? Um, Yeah. It's really? they, there is now a, a, so a Azura pretty much just ignoring it. I mean, people <laughs> are still doing um, it's still it's not taboo to breed a northern to a southern mm-hmm. um, yeah. designers, of course, are just way out the window. I mean, you at don't this even point, know. I mean, maybe you say, I mean, you got it to breed, so you're you're good to go. I mean, they're now, hard now to you, breed. So. Now, now you sound like a hi- now you sound like a hybrid guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the hybrid thing. What I hate is that it's usually people who are like, "Well, I bought this and I bought this, so yeah. it's like, and now I, I, I happen to have this and I have this and right. a Woma, yeah. so let's put yeah. them together." I hate that. I yeah. I really like planned out sure, projects. Sure. So I, I can understand that. But I mean, the northern and southern. There's a mountain range disconnecting those two, right? And then there's obviously a continent disconnecting the Australians from the, all the Indonesians. That's right. And then, you know, you've got islands like Aru and Biak. You know, and then, that, yeah, they're all on islands. Yeah. Well, and, but some of those islands, like, and I don't know my Indonesia history or geography real well, right. but some of those islands at one time were connected to the mainland and others weren't. Of course. Like yeah. Biak was never connected to the main island of Indonesia. Really? Really. So even when you're going to the fact that Australia was connected to Indonesia at some point, yeah. Pangea shit, it was never? That That's what I've read. All right. Interesting. So, But well, I may, mean, they're maybe, definitely assholes. Maybe it wasn't. When they say never, maybe, you know, they mean in recent times, like right. the evolution where, where they could have, you know, been chondros on mainland Indo and then it split and they're their biak but nothing far enough to make them a totally different thing than the mainland species well some people are saying that they are right yeah yeah so it's kind of like you know all those boa species that were split off on all those islands they're smaller species a little bit different is there any differentiation between size and stuff mostly island species are smaller because they have migratory birds or different prey items, stuff like that. Yeah, interesting. The Biaks are one of the larger, you know. On a small island? Yeah. Well, fucking condor. Crazy. They're just crazy. Do whatever they want. <laughs> Evan brought up um, Dan finding that wild uh, GTP, and I was like, oh, we just watched oh, that today. Watched. I literally I, just watched it. I haven't watched it. I know. I've got it bookmarked to watch, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, I heard that's I mean, pretty cool. Beautiful animal. And I think he said that he was going to go to Kofiao or something like that. Some, an island that isn't visited a lot by tourists. That would be. And I think it's fucking Kofiao. And if he is. finds a yellow condor, that be incredible? Man, holy fuck. That's, that's where they say Daniel Natouche spent time on Kofiao. And he said that was like the hardest place to find him, mm-hmm. you know, in the wild out there. They're, they're really having some deforestation issues i think on that island in, in particular really mm-hmm. yeah and i don't know the reason but i mean that as far as a locality i mean 
Do you know exactly how that works as far as, from what I've seen, people that show off their Kofiels are that canary yellow, but yeah. I don't know if there's green ones, but how does that work? There are definitely green ones. In yeah. fact, there are more <laughs> green ones than yellow. Fuck! <laughs> Sorry. I thought I had a Condra <laughs> that I could get. Now I can't get no, it. There's more, they, more the yellow, they, they Ian, I, or no, Forest Fanning has it, a really fucking amazing canary yellow. He has really amazing fucking everything. He is amazing. Forrest is a good guy. I don't want to get him on here just because he was just on NPR, so I want to give it like six months or something. I need to give it a little breathing room. Because it seems like it's weird because all the people that we know, I know all Moralia people, even though I keep less Moralia than anything else. But it's just who I know. It's around here. Dallas in general has a lot of Moralia people. And it's like. They're always on NPR. Before like people who are ready to get on a radio show, I guess. So. But Forrest isn't from here. That's true. Yeah. But he was on NPR, so. Yeah. He's he's a good guy. I think he was on he was on uh, Snakes and the Fat Man too just before. So it's like he's been on like two radio he's shows doing the tour, in the last huh? month. So. Yeah, I mean, other you know, I try to get different people, but then again, like, I love all the people who are into. Morelia and stuff like that just because those people dig a little bit deeper I think yeah than a lot of the other people but it's Tony it, said he would be that boring guest that we talked about earlier that does it like <laughs> 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 he came on he said he would be that person nah I mean he, he, did, you have stuff to say though yeah, right? he doesn't give himself enough credit yeah and he said, I don't know if y'all saw, he said if he gives Melissa wine, she would steal the show. <laughs> That's what I said, have Melissa on. I've been drinking, we do That's it. what I'm we saying. Can... We can get halfway there if we just have his wife talking about I mean, the stuff. If she comes, he has to come too. Like, she wouldn't come by herself. So Yeah, you could do it. You can have a couple show. Yeah. There you go. I said, I I've thought two, about that. Two Melissas in one show. It, it has to happen. It has to happen. <laughs> we'll have to mic up the whole room because yeah, you'll I'm all be talking at the same out, time. Right? We'll hang it from the ceiling. Like, we'll do whatever to have two Melissas in one show. <laughs> That'd be awesome. There you go. Um, I don't think there was any other... Oh, what does Bill... Wait, hold on. What? Oh, so what he's asking is, how did hypos magically appear as far as carpets go? AKA, you know, the I, I, dark arts over there. Yeah, I don't know too much about the hypo story. I've I don't keep hypo. You probably know more about it than I do. Uh, so basically, hypo carpets are something that only occurred in Australia, and then someone decided to do their due diligence and smuggle. conveniently smuggle it to Europe, and then Paul Harris automatically has it, and everyone's like. Oh, that's an awesome hypo. And I'm like, wait, how does he have the hypo? And no one asked the fucking question, you know? So it's like... There's only one way. It's fucking dark magic, guys. Get the fuck out of here. I don't know. It, it's like how we've kept any other snake that comes from Australia. It's called fucking time travel. I don't know what happened. That's... Yeah. There's reptiles, guys. You should you should read um, some books as far as... Um, lizard. Read The Lizard King and read... What's that other book? The something stolen jungle, oh, and yeah. that will tell you exactly how those animals got stuff from there. there to there. Yeah, some Swiss zoo gave them a AZA permit, or you know, paid them for whatever. No, I was telling you, scoot over. Sorry, you're, oh. you were just barely in the. Sorry, Jesus. I was about to say you should be up, Bill. You can scoot over too. So you, you don't want to catch. Don't want you to don't want to catch anything. anything. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> 
So ball pythons. Love love. Well, I I call them royals. I'm I'm. Oh, what you call mm, fancy? Uh, no, the royal pythons. That's what they call them in Europe. It's you no. are like a European, you know, it's, fancy. It, 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 it's it like sounds, Porsche. <laughs> Instead of Porsche. Porsche. Yeah. No, we I call them. Then Valiant will know. I mean, that's they call them royals over there. It sounds and, better than balls for it, sure. Well, and it it gets rid of that ball python stigma of like you you know everybody's a douchebag shitting on each other, just doing it for the money. So I just I call them royal pythons. You got to be a snob even outside of <laughs> green trees, you that, know. That's not snob. We're to call them a royal <laughs> python. That's that's their name. Python Regius, you know what that means? There you go. Royal. 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 So, so back in, in Africa, they called them, but they called them royal pythons because apparently royalty used to wear them around their wrists and stuff like that, and around their necks and shit, because if you ever held a ball python, it doesn't do anything unless you get it around your wrist. It will just chill there forever. Look at that one-upping me on on my on knowledge he called me call me the snob <laughs> <laughs> just to re- <laughs> you don't keep any royals do you no i used to and i just you killed them all i killed them all i don't think that <laughs> i don't think they're, they're hard they're hard to keep, keep. <laughs> they're super hard are all right but I don't, these royal things these ball python things are hard to keep man do you know they used I'm to just be a beginner do you know they used to be considered uh, expert level you know they used to be considered very hard to keep and to breed yeah. yeah and i mean in a way they are in comparison but we're used to keeping the ball python way right like that's just the way we yeah, keep now but back in the day it was a heat lamp and a heat rock and whatever so yeah and you know those again the wild ball pythons they were not easy to acclimate to captivity and they probably weren't easy to breed what's fucked up is that we still import like 50,000, hundreds of thousand. Why? When we have, we have people basically selling these things for, for fucking jerky now. I know, it's true. We're giving I, them away or selling them away for, 10 for bucks. fucking meat, man. Yeah, I know. I, I don't I don't get I, it. I don't see how. If you're importing ball pythons, yeah, you're not going to be on the show. <laughs> you're not legit enough <laughs> but it's like if you're just after the next morph and all that shit more because like Travis Wyman said on our show the rate of mutation is the same so the fact is we have so many ball pythons in captivity now that the rate of mutation is high enough that we get new genes in fucking captivity. In captivity. Isn't that, comparison to even the isn't wild that, isn't that crazy to even think that fucking that, that could happen crazy it's a, a we had um, this kid uh, who breeds crested geckos last week, and it's like you know they came from you know only a few specimens from the island. They were very endangered, and now they have so many in captivity. They have more in captivity than they, than do, they do in, in New Caledonia. So it's like mutations happen in captivity more often than you'll find them from the wild. That's bizarre. Yeah. But chondros, there doesn't seem to be a, the albino. So how the fuck? Who has that? And that, who's working with that? And how does it work? That's the only um, true genetic mutation that's been discovered in chondros is al- albinism. And um, Marshall Mendez was the only one that currently had an albino project going in the United States, a current one. And I haven't heard too much about his animals. I know he produced a couple but he had trouble getting him established or i know he had at least a couple that even lived for a year or longer and then he he lost them so 
um, there's still a lot to, to be learned about. Maybe that mutation has some effect it, on the it might, it might, They might be genetically weak. Um, Have you seen his animals, though? His animals are awesome. Fuck, man. Like, he has emeralds, too. Really, really yeah, amazing yeah, Amazon Basin emeralds and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, he's a he's a good guy. Marshall Mendez was one of the guys, handful of guys, that got me in. Like, when I decided I was going to get into Condros, I knew Marshall because he keeps ball pythons, too. And um, so, and he keeps them in. One thing that we didn't talk about is, you know, keeping animals, the same animals in different geographic areas in the United States. It's like, yeah. Yeah. you know, I keep oh, my, yeah. I keep my, I have to keep my animals differently than they keep them, you know, in, in the Northeast or the Midwest just because of temperature and humidity and stuff like that. But Marshall um, lives in the same Georgia, part of the, right? yeah, in Georgia, it lives in the same you know relatively uh same Humidity, conditions that i do he right exactly summer winter cycles and he keeps ball pythons i knew he kept both so uh, he's the guy that i contacted like all right how do i keep these things heat wise and and so he's he's a good guy and that's definitely important to talk about as far as geographical regions as far as in colorado i flooded a lot of my cages and stuff like that while keeping just for humidity reasons or <laughs> When I was in upstate New York in the winter, it was super dry. We would we would heat the room, which would make it super dry yeah. and stuff like that. So there's definitely there's so many aspects as far as if you're keeping chondros down here, maybe even different than you're keeping chondros somewhere else. Absolutely, and it's chondros are one of the things where you do have to read your animal a little bit. Like I keep all of my ball pythons like exactly the same. I spray them when they're in shed; otherwise, I leave them alone. The chondros, depending on what kind of cage they're in, even the location in the room, you know, yeah. can get a little more dry. So you just, you know, you have to read your animals. And, and the bottom line with chondros is, is you want to give them just enough cage humidity that they'll have a good shed. If they're having a good shed cycle, you know, you want to back off how much humidity until almost until they don't have a good shed cycle to you kind of know that you know humidity that you want to keep because obviously the dangers of keeping it too much humidity is you'll get mold and you know bacterial growth so you think the overcorrection may may lead to respiratory or something yeah like that? oh absolutely yeah if you kept a chondro at 100 percent humidity you know year-round 24 7 it would not do well which they, oftentimes the high humidity, you don't have good airflow and stuff like that. There's stagnant air. Absolutely. Yeah. So air, you know, that's the thing about, you know, your caging airflow can make a difference. Yeah. Um, it's not hard. You just have to put a little intuitive thought into it. And, and if your chondros having good sheds, then you're doing things right. As long right. as the cage isn't wet, you know, 24 hours a day. Okay. And so I, I don't measure humidity at all. I just, I will wet the substrate maybe every, you know, my particular scenario, every other day, every third day, I'll just wet that substrate, make sure it's dry by mm -hmm. the next time I check the cage. And I'll, I do miss my animals when they're in their shed cycle. But other than that, I don't miss them. Now, I'm really protective about handling my animals, about bringing them out of their environment. You have the balls to bring a hatchling <laughs> baby over here. So it's like... How do you feel as far as, I mean, you obviously don't think these things are too fragile. Uh-uh, not at all. Um, not at all. I think they are as hardy as any of the other animals that we keep. You know, again, if you keep them in the right environment and, you know, if they're not coming off, they're not uh, imported from the wild full of parasites. Mm -hmm. You know, they're very hardy animals. They really are. They're just a pain in the ass to get feeding. Yeah. But it seems like once they're established, they're good to go. Oh, my God, yes. 
Is there anything else before we? Um, well, I missed some conversation, obviously. And I don't know how far y'all far y'all got off, but someone said like they're importing because they're hoping to find that new gene and get rich. Well, not necessarily in Congress, but in other things, for sure. Would you agree? Yeah, probably so. I mean, yeah, certainly in ball pythons, like when the banana morph was discovered i don't know 15 and then years someone ago. buys something that looks exactly the same and they call it a coral glow and it's <laughs> right. the same thing as a banana and but two people get rich yeah, yeah both those motherfuckers <laughs> spent 50 grand to get it over but yeah well, they'll they call it something different until they prove otherwise right yeah that that's not happening in the chondro world no. chondros are being imported at very cheap prices because those indonesian people will well, they got to make a living. Yeah, I they're mean, just trying to feed their family, and so they can get them over here for, you know, for cheap, relatively cheap. If they, if they collect animals and make $200, that may be a life-changing scenario in comparison to Absolutely, here. absolutely. So, I mean, I always understand why wild collection happens, because obviously, even they're being deforested anyway, so it's like sometimes... I mean, everyone's got to make their money, and that's why it's hard to say. Even with things, with North American colubrids, you come across, you know, things hunted out of Arizona and stuff like that. Um, you're seeing people who are road cruising where maybe that animal gets run over anyway. Yeah. So where do your morals lie as far as that goes? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just hate for people to, you know, take the attitude of um, – you know, exploitation. Like, yeah, exploitation is just, there's no good way to, you can't sugarcoat it. Yeah. You know, I mean, you just can't. I understand the people t trying to take care of their family, um, but it certainly doesn't help that people are buying a lot of imported chondros here. I mean, it just, it, it doesn't really help them because so many of them are lost on the way over here. And the ones that do make it over here usually end up dying anyway. Yeah. So it's just, it's kind of a no-win situation. It's, it's so hard when you know that as a seller, I would, you have the cognizance that you know that that animal is probably going to die because you didn't educate the buyer and stuff. I don't know how you can do that. That's I, don't, just I don't either. Something that goes beyond just comprehension for most of the guys who work so hard yeah. to keep these animals alive and breed them and stuff like that. It's a difference between a business and a passion. That's, right. that's the difference. Yeah, I mean, that's just figures, obviously, at that point. I mean, your money in. Right. That's, Absolutely. You got to, yeah, pay for that overhead, right? Absolutely. I mean, I understand that, too, you know, but. I understand it, but there's a just way. Just don't stoop to it. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> there's a way you can pay for your overhead. But there's some people who do it the right way. Yeah, yeah there some, are some people who do it the right way. Yeah. Um, it's all your blood. It's all that kind of stuff. Your platelets. <laughs> other bodily, other bodily fluids. Yeah. If you have to, if you must. Don't do I'm, I'm, I'm not to judge. But don't stoop to the level. Yeah. But, but anyway, we're way past our two-hour thing. But already. Only twenty minutes past our two. Hours. Which we will. Which is the fact that. Everyone the fact that you haven't yeah, stopped us before. I'm usually the one who ends this. Okay. Because I'm usually hungry or like I have homework to do since I'm still in school. Various things. There has to be a voice of reason. I'm glad you're it. <laughs> but someone said, thank you, Melissa, for not ruining the stream today. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, you got a reputation. Respect to whoever that. <laughs> but I usually 
ended at a, the two hour, an hour and a half. Like, it's not like I cut it off, you know, at 45 minutes. Like, I let it go for a while. Today, I ate before. I had no homework. Like, so I was just going to let y'all go. Joe, I'm surprised he ended it. But, I mean, you two have a long time. In respect yeah, of him have, having to drive all the way. You have a life also. I got, you have I, a life? I, I got to get up early tomorrow. <laughs> what time does you your day start tomorrow? Whenever I want it to. Oh, see? <laughs> My, my alarm at 6.50. Kids can wait. My alarm goes off at 5.30. Yeah, he needs to go to bed. There you go. And I'm old. I need my sleep. That's true. Yes. You you definitely get up early then. I get up early. There yep. you go. Um, someone said Bill the Termination Steagle. <laughs> and maybe Terminator. Is yeah, Terminator because of the, the thing that you posted. <laughs> Our shitty photoshops. Yeah. Um, that chicken you made was, oh, I made chicken for Evan. I was so confused. Or not for him. Wow, ruined the live stream at the last moment. Holy shit. I, I mean, confused me. I didn't know what he was talking about. Okay. Evan likes his We got eat. pizza last time he was here. It I don't know what happened. he's talking about. You, no, remember I was making the, the chicken in the crock pot? Oh, yeah, we ate that, too. We <laughs> ate a bunch of stuff. <laughs> so Evan just pretty much makes himself at home over here, huh? <laughs> Drink our beer. He only drinks Dr. Pepper, so it's okay. He drinks a whole two liter of Dr. Pepper for every show. And they have to go to the bathroom. Which is. Well, yeah. Both him and I went to the bathroom like three times this show. Bathrooms are bathroom breaks are very much allowed in this. We don't give Bill Steagles fresh water every three to four <laughs> days, so he didn't pee at all. <laughs> I peed right before we started. <laughs> there you go. Um, so anything else at the end you want to plug for you? Uh, I'm on Facebook. You can find me Bill Steagle on Facebook. Um, and uh, if you want to come out to the Lone Star show. Uh, in December would be great and also I'm local and I love having people and like a lot of people I like having people at, at my place um, I'll make sure you wash your hands before you come in but after that fucking sanitize people <laughs> sanitize baby <laughs> uh, you're welcome to, to come over and check out my stuff I live in Arlington Where so um, we we do a podcast called GTP Keeper Radio. We pod we do about once a month. Our show is about once a month, and uh, you can find it on Blog Talk Radio or Apple, the iTunes Store. Okay. Anywhere I know, I found it. I have an Android, and I get it through Podcast Addict, so it transcends iTunes and okay, goes other cool. places. So if you have an Android, you can download it. And we, uh, I must say that Evan is going to be on our next show, which is Sunday. And um, we're doing, you know, most of the time we have, and you guys like to bring, uh, not experts, but people that have a niche or a knowledge in one particular uh, subject. Well, we're doing kind of the opposite. We're having what we're calling our new keeper show. And so we're having Evan, who's not really, uh, Joe and I were talking about this, Evan's not new to chondros at all um but since he hasn't produced any yet <laughs> we're uh we're classifying as a relatively new chondro keeper he and i think one other person are going to be on with buddy and i and um another um gentleman uh named jason stevens who is well above my pay grade in chondro experience and knowledge he's also going to be on the show and we're just going to talk about maybe some stuff that new keepers want to talk about uh, maybe so they'll uh, have questions or, or want to talk about stuff that we wouldn't even think about so that'll be a fun show i think yeah i think sometimes you get 
so used to how you keep and stuff like that you lose context for people who start who are starting out who may not know the basic snake keeping principles as far as heat humidity all that stuff some people don't know any of that yeah absolutely or they're used to that with the species that they're currently working with right um and i and i think you know we're always looking people all new people always have great good ideas some of them are feasible plausible and some of them are just terrible um but they it's always good to bring new ideas and new thoughts um into the community so that's what and we're that's looking for that's something cool about the condor community always learning about shit we're trying also evan will not let us forget brought it up about four times during this podcast we have to plug southern carpet fest of course that is evan's baby so in about a year and a half evan starts planning southern carpet fest the day after the <laughs> current southern carpet fest but yes we're gonna have uh, southern carpet fest i traditionally have hosted it and evan has done 90 percent of the of the legwork <laughs> on it so it works and out pretty marketing. well <laughs> yeah the marketing we have a couple other people uh, that helps us um austin and uh usually does a t-shirt for us dave perlich and his wife um are always involved and then we have a couple of people from austin that come in and pitch pitch in and so um, we call it Carpet Fest, but it is, as you guys know, it has really nothing to do with people keeping carpet pythons. Yeah. <laughs> it's just what it's called because we're a spinoff of the original Northeast Carpet Fest. Um, so we call it Carpet Fest, but 90% of the people there won't have any carpet pythons or keep carpet so pythons. i mean you realize that most of the people we've had on this show are from carpet fest or attend carpet <laughs> have fest, some so, kind of so that should tell you that this is a good place to go to meet new people and to just talk to people about snakes and stuff like that absolutely it's a social event it's kind of like a show but without the pressure of buying and selling animals it's you just come you talk and you get to meet people that um you probably wouldn't have met before. And you get to see Bill's collection. You get to see Sigmas. You get to see my collection, absolutely. Oh, yeah, there you go. Which is the coolest part because you see how people who are successful doing it do it. And we've taken way too long to end this show. So, Bill, thank you so much for coming on. and Thanks so much for having me, man. Talking about random stuff. <laughs> Appreciate it. That, Thanks for know, the invite. Green trees for the most part, but and then, you know, we just get off course and do whatever. That's what I was expecting. Cool. 40 down. This is our 40th pod. Well, I haven't been here the whole time, but. Wow, 40. 40. That's awesome. Yeah. So someone brought up, I, God, we're trying to end this and I'm talking more, but someone brought up having all of our guests on for our 50th episode. So I think we should try to make it happen. That'll be January 13th. To have like what? Who did this fucking math? I, I was I was talking a lot in the chat with people while y'all were talking. Like Lily Pad did. How, it, how do you have forty? How do you have forty nine guests on at the same time? No, we haven't had a guest every time. Oh, okay. For a long time, it was just him and I. Really? We just, who was our first guest? Evan. Evan, <laughs> yeah. Evan was our first, and it was really Evan's like initiative. He's like. I want to come over, you know, and we're like, yeah. Because Evan was always in the chat anyway, so we're like, why don't you just come <laughs> over and talk to us? So that's pretty much uh, how it started. So we've, yeah, I don't know. We've maybe started guests at like 30. I don't know. Either way, I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of people that I would like to have over for a certain show where it's like five people, but it would be hard with everyone talking we're over each other. And Bill, Ryan, Ryan, and Evan. Cause it's like, you have like Ryan does retics. Yeah. 
Evan keeps GTPs and retakes and I mean, what's his name? Austin's just a cool dude with one leg. That's cool. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> that is cool. But yeah, no, to have like y'all four and maybe Mark, like have a, I mean, we'll find yeah, Mark's all about the stoke, which is a great quote from his episode. Green Street Pythons are all about the stoke, <laughs> in case you guys didn't know. So yeah, like if we could find a way to get all of y'all on, like. It would be awesome. It'd be fun. But we're really trailing off with all these thoughts at the end of here. Thank you guys so much for listening. PoorCityPythons.com. PoorCityPythons on Facebook, Instagram, Phoenix YouTube. Reptiles. Phoenix Reptiles everywhere. Come, you got come, it. Come visit me. Yeah. There you go. Later. Okay. We did it.